0: And welcome to the Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast that is now officially the lady of the hour. As always,
1: I'm Mario Lanza.
2: I'm Jay Fisher and I, I really feel like like Mike deserves to be here longer. He really just deserves it.
1: I'm Sasquatch, which is Bigfoot, which is Mike Bloom, and also T Rex.
3: I'm Paul Oselson, and please forgive me if I cry during this podcast. It's not actually crying, it's actually depression coming through my eyes. So just be on the lookout for that.
0: I'm
2: going to mistake that for weakness, bro.
3: I'm flipping off right now. You can't see me, but that's what I'm doing. Okay. Wow, that's so,
2: this is such such an animosity filled podcast (laughs) already. Oh, man,
0: we got some fun Maddie stuff to go through. All right, so here we are. This is part two of our mega three-part Gabon podcast, where we uh, uh, trace one of the crazier seasons of Survivor that doesn't really make any sense. But we are here, and uh, a lot of people liked part one. Um, We got so much feedback after that first one, especially about the preposition jokes, Dan, with the prepositions. Apparently that one touched a nerve with you, just as it touched a nerve with us, and I will give full credit to our temp and uh, current podcast member Mike Bloom for coming up with those preposition jokes. Those were great. So before you leave, I will say one more time that we enjoyed having you here, Mike.
1: Well, thank you. But all the credit goes to Schoolhouse Rock. But with regards to my eventual leave from the historians, on top of that, I guess I realized listening back to the previous podcast that I realized I left things in a very vague direction, which I think allowed people to sort of have their imagination spinning uh, and I know that it's sort of been postulated out there about any sort of, you know, backstage drama, which outside of Paul's vehement hatred of me, there really is not. Uh, so I just want to sort of specify exactly what is going on. Since again, I did living things a little vague. I love doing this podcast. Uh, this is not only the best group of guys that I love to talk Survivor with, but one of the best podcasts I get to do, period. Uh, it's less of a thing about me wanting to leave as much as it is in a way Me kind of having to leave. The thing that Survivor Historians has always been about since the beginning is really talking about Survivor in a very honest light. Not really pulling any punches about talking about the franchise past, present, and future. And uh, we sort of realized that in me moving into a position that allows me to be pretty tangential to CBS, there's a chance I wouldn't get to be as upfront or candid starting in the fall and the thing, the last thing I would want to do would be to be on this podcast and make these guys have to, you know, go against the, the thesis statement of this podcast and start to make them have to censor things and watch their words. So we thought, you know, we talked about it and we thought it was best if, you know, I decide to take a leave from the podcast and allow these guys to continue spilling the straight truth tea about Survivor moving forward. So that, that's the situation that's going on for those who are curious.
0: Yeah, so basically we were going to replace him with Kristen. That was our decision.
1: I mean, that that, that again is, you know, reading between the lines. That's essentially what I was saying. So now you're getting people's imagination spinning once more. The circle of life continues. How appropriate for the season based in Africa.
2: Reading
3: reading across the lines? Yes. (laughs) In them, over them, through them.
0: Yes, because if there's one thing this podcast will always be known for is that we will say things and we'll not back down from them. We will speak the truth. And speaking of which, let's back down from something we said last week.
3: All right, yeah, uh, I could. <laughs> go
0: ahead, go ahead, Paul. Go
3: I, ahead I could jump in just on this one. Um, you know, historian's kind of our like motto here is we just kind of talk about everything and we rolled the punches and think that we all knew going into this. Um, this stretch of episodes, there's obviously a big topic that we're going to have to touch with uh, with Dan, and I'm sure we're going to get there, so we knew that was going to be a sensitive topic. Something else that was brought to our attention that we weren't aware in the first part of the podcast was that um, Susie on the show, you know, she talks, mentions her son throughout the, the show every now and then, and, and I definitely mentioned it in the preseason. And uh, we had no idea. I don't think it really even spread too much in the Survivor online community but i guess her son tragically died in a car accident i think in the last year or two and so it's a pretty recent thing for susie so that was just brought to our attention so we're not you know taking back anything that we said because i don't think we said anything inappropriate but that's just something as a character that i think we can all appreciate on the show susie that's obviously we want to send our condolences um regarding that um as we continue on with this podcast
0: yep and speaking of that did we screw up anything else last week
2: oh i'm sure i screwed up a million things I mean that's that's the whole thing is is you know, people email going Jay said something not right and uh yeah, so eat it. I'm probably gonna say a lot of things that are wrong again. It's just how it goes.
0: All right. So with that out of the way, you guys ready to dive into episode five of Gabon here, where we are about to lose one of the two blonde people.
2: I'm about to dive across it, but yes. <laughs>
0: So we're still doing that. Okay. Fine. All right. So here we are. Episode 5 of Survivor Gabon. We are let's see We're that what just happened? GC just left and Or quit. And Or was voted out. However, you wanted to find that. And now we basically have Ace and Sugar all to themselves on Fong and things are looking dire. They have the the immunity idol between them. And it's basically them against the Fongs, and I believe that is where we were are starting. Correct?
3: Yes. I love how the episode starts off with a quote from my favorite Kelly, saying uh, that it's all positive energy. That's like the first thing we hear about this episode. That quickly we're gonna, you know, just spend the whole episode about how, you know, learning about how dysfunctional this tribe is. All positive energy.
1: You know, it really, it really is a motley. It's a motley crew. We lose here, guys. We have Ace, Dan, Marcus, Charlie. These guys that are really heavy hitters, both in the physical and strategic aspects of the game, and who can forget the queen among them all, Kelly charznitsky, the denim queen, I think is what she actually calls herself in one of her exit interviews.
3: $200 denim denim queen, not not the, the $20, the
0: $200. I swear, I've learned more about Kelly from listening to the two of you over this podcast than I ever have in the 10 years that since Gabon aired on TV.
3: And you're welcome.
0: Thank you.
2: <laughs> well, and I'm right. sure that you know, and this was a thing that that people like. I think somebody mentioned this uh, last time, or no? I think it was in uh, your Facebook group, Mario, and someone was talking. It was it was about Jackie, which you know, it's it's like Kelly. It's sort of the same, but like you know, it was it was along the lines, basically saying I don't know because we we talked about a lot of these early boots in Gabon, especially the ones that we've already passed. Uh, maybe not, perhaps falling below the Ashby line, and someone says well i disagree because these you know they they were mentioning jackie in particular because they're like she could have been a great character had she not been voted out when she did and my response to that is well yeah but she was voted out when she did you know it's like we can only really judge what we see right and the whole thing and that and that's it's like with the thing with the talking it's like we talk on this podcast and we do talk about you know uh the historical perspective uh, you know, what 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 fans were were reacting to, especially on the Internet uh, at the time and things like that, because, you know, Mario and all these people were very uh, Internet uh, community activated, you know, as this stuff was going on. But uh, with that said, you know, we only are talking about the people that we see on the TV screen.
3: You know what I'm saying?
2: And so it's like it's tough when people are like, oh, well, you know, that person seemed really dynamic. It's like, you remember, Stephanie and Survivor Thailand? You know, like they even in the in the reunion show showed, you know, how like how crazy her freaking audition video was. And it's like, well, that's all well and good. But she was a dud on the show, you know, and it's you know, you always have to remember that. So you have somebody like Kelly and it's like Kelly takes a life of her own here. But at the same time, well, boy, stage presence.
0: Yeah, I mean, Andre the Giant would have been a great castaway, too, if he had been on the show.
1: He'd be great at coming up with tree mail phrases considering how much he loves to rhyme.
0: (laughs) All right, so here we go. So uh, we have Ace and Sugar all left alone on Fong, not Fang. We will not call the tribe Fang yet; that comes later. And uh, Ace is looking for some something to to do now. He need, he needs some help. They're kind of screwed, and so he basically says, "I'm looking for a Benedict Arnold. I can't I can't do the Ace accent, but I'm looking for a Benedict Arnold to help me now." And he goes and you know, I think the perfect Benedict Arnold for the James Bond villain would
1: be let's go get the surfer guy.
2: I need so a Benedict be- Arnold, Mister Bond.
1: Yeah, they had their little uh, tete-a-tete, as Ace is going to put it, because I don't think Maddie's has ever said tete-a-tete in his life. Uh, the interesting thing about this is they sort of make... They sort of do their own sort of... I don't want to say it's, it's an onion thing as much as it's sort of like two people meeting and then respectively picking their seconds to bring into the alliance as well, where they make a promise to keep each other safe, and then they say, like, okay, we each get one plus one, if you will. And Ace obviously picks Sugar, and Maddie picks Kenny, which there are some unexplored relationships in Survivor Gabon that come to light more in Exit Press once we find out things after the fact. I feel like the Maddie-Kenny dynamic is one of them because they do seem pretty close, at least from these implicit things that we gather, like this moment or, you know, when they merge and Maddie is, like, super happy to see Kenny. He's basically giving him a, enveloping him in a hug and giving him a noogie, essentially, once they merge. And it's not really something that's shown on the show outright, but it's interesting to sort of pick out there that, you know, we have... Three former Fongs and two former Coda left on this Fong tribe, uh, and of the two, between Crystal and Kenny, Maddie is by far closer with Kenny.
0: Yeah, and this this is a subplot I actually didn't remember until we went to watch these episodes. But if people haven't watched it in a while, you have. Uh... Ace swears on his mom, and Maddie swears on his girlfriend. And this this is going to become a big, big big storyline throughout the season, Maddie's girlfriend, which, again, I've completely forgotten before I watched the season. But it's apparently a big deal that Maddie's making a ring for his girlfriend. He's doing everything for her. And then I should point out here that also have a great Maddie quote. Maddie, I don't think, has really registered in my mind as, as quite the colorful character that he really is. But he has a great surfer boy quote here, which I, I hope I can do it justice, where he says... If somebody comes up with a good plan, for sure I'm on board, man. So there's Maddie. That That is that is almost that is a word for word quote exactly how he says it.
3: Yeah, he's so in love with his girlfriend that he uh, fashions the ring for her, and he you know he lists off the three things that he dreams about at night: one being food, two being his dog, three being his girlfriend. So she's she's top three, baby. <laughs> top three. It, but this this this. Conversation
2: with Ace and Maddie brings home a point that I brought out in the first podcast that we had about this season of Gabon, where I think you're right, Mike, in the in the sense that there's probably a lot of intertribal and intra-tribal dynamics that are going on that we're not being shown, and I think that's the case of every season of Survivor, you know, and that's that's always the problem we get is that you know we have thirteen to fourteen hour long television shows. And by an hour long, I mean, what, 42, 43 running minutes where they're capturing, you know, in theory, the 43 minutes is capturing three days of footage. And a lot of that footage is just sort of thrown away. And it's like those people have nothing to do on that in the island, but do tasks that help them live. And that's it. (laughs) Like they literally then just talk to each other and, and do things. So, like, there's probably just so much stuff that goes on out there, like that we don't see in, things like that. And also the people that edit the show aren't, they don't, they're not necessarily held to, they're not doing a documentary. They're not, they're not editing the show based on what's actually happening out there. They're doing it somewhat, but sometimes they're manipulating footage, you know, or, or putting confessionals in weird spots or doing voiceovers in weird places just because they're driving home a narrative. And you always have to remember that. But at the same time, what I'm seeing from this season is that everyone is very obsessed with pairs. You know, it's all just about who's your one. And this is going to continue in these next cupping episodes. But right here, we get this thing again, where we know that Ace and Sugar are an established pair, but it brings up again, Ace is like, I need Sugar. Sugar is my person. He's forging an alliance with Maddie. And it's like, you and me, we need to work together. But I need Sugar. And Maddie's like, I need Ken. And you get these like pairs. And everyone's so obsessed with like having that second, that other person and having these little pair couplets going around on this island
0: watch this i'm going to blow everybody's mind now everybody is listening jay just made a very good point about pears when they get to the merge and they start opening all their canned goods maddie specifically points out we have gabonese pears whoa it's inception wow i know see it's the kind of deep thinking that we like to bring to this podcast that's about
3: exciting that's about as exciting as a uh, kelly and jackie combined
0: <laughs> so speaking of food let's go over to dan eating all the rice on coda <laughs>
3: Since that's all we get from Coda, like, for until, like, the merge is, like, no. what Coda's eating?
0: Yeah. It's both tribes, actually. It's all rice. The next half hour is all going to be rice discussion.
2: Well, I mean, they have to do that thing. It's like what Karor's edit was in Palau, <laughs> if you're remembering back, when the, in the sense that, like, Coda doesn't lose And so they're not going to Tribal Council. But, you know, spoiler alert, we're going to have a double Tribal Council soon at some point. And so, like, at some point, Coda is going to be forced to go to Tribal Council. And so they go over there, and it's like, it's always tough to kind of just go over there and show them thriving. And so what they're setting up is they're basically setting up, well, Coda's going to have to go to Tribal Council at some point and vote somebody out. Let's show you why. And so now it's just, okay, Dan eats a lot. Which, hey, it happens in Survivor, you know, Sometimes people just need to eat, and they eat a lot, and everyone else is like, we're trying to ration. And and so this is now the point of contention in CODA, is that Dan eats too much, and so he's got to go.
0: This goes back to an argument that's been there almost since day one on Survivor. Should people who are bigger and heavier get more food than the people who are smaller? And this is, I mean, it's been going back to Borneo. You've seen this in Clarence with the cherries and Ethan in Africa, like – Dan's like, well, I'm a big guy, I need all this food, and Corinne points out, you know, just because you're bigger than me, I get just as much food as you, so, like, shut up, you former fatty, and this will, of course, become a subplot later.
1: Yeah, I was going to point out, that ironically enough, this is not the moment that Corinne calls Dan a former fatty, not when he's bogarting the food, it's just his vulnerabilities later on, but I guess it's all sort of this one existing thread, which seems to be, as you said, the only CODA plotline so far outside of, like, Randy joins in with the popular kids, which is, everyone is a little weirded out by Dan, and a little annoyed with Dan.
0: Yeah, and I do have to say there there's a scene later where it's I think an episode or two down the road when Corinne will point out, you know, I've been horrible and mean to Susie all this time for twenty-three days, and like, but we never see that. All we ever see is coda is them eating rice and talking about how awesome it is. So it's like, yeah, I kinda wish they would have had a little more story. We could have seen that Corinne just being mean to Susie all the time.
2: Right. And here here's the thing. I, I I've got a lot to say about survivor and especially the strategy as far as this season goes because i was noticing some things especially in this mid-stretch of episodes here uh but now is not the time for that but what i will notice is is that what i find difficult is i sit here on this podcast every once in a while and i know i say things like this is survivor 101 or this is something you should do but survivor it's funny because it's a game but it's a game without a whole ton of set rules and there's no specific way to play it and it's it's not even necessarily something you can play which drives a lot of online and internet community people nuts because they like to put people in lists like who's a great player who's a bad player who's a good player and it's like I don't know because it's, it, 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 everything's different out there. Each social situation, who's out there, what the twists are, what everything goes on, it's always very different from season to season. So it's very difficult to sort of come up with some sort of objective heuristic. But there are things that you can do that will probably better ingratiate yourselves to the people out there. Number one is don't eat extra food, you know? And, and I think that Mario's got an interesting point. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a season one, almost day one problem, which is should bigger people – or people who exert more in challenges and in camp life and stuff like that be able to get more food than those who don't and it's an interesting question and i think it's one that we can't necessarily answer without any sort of thing my guess though is is that you probably should just eat as much food as everyone else or else it might be a problem <laughs>
0: Yeah, and it's further complicated by the fact that Dan's trying to shove, you know, rice into his mouth, and he's shoving it, like, across his mouth, (laughs) under his mouth.
2: About his mouth, yes.
1: About, yeah, cosine of his mouth. But to be fair, Fong Fong wishes it had rice to shove in his mouth, because I I I love, like, we have this ongoing storyline of Fong's running out of rice, and a nice little ironic confessional here from Kenny being like, since day one, I was complaining about people eating too much rice. But we, we pointed out several times last podcast that Kenny was totally with GC and eating as much rice as possible. Yeah, the rice woes never
0: ended, Fong. And I don't know if they ever will this season.
2: No, it, but it also shows you, you know, it's it's this weird subtext of, like, good tribe, bad tribe sort of thing with the, with Jeff Propes never-ending the Fong tribe is the most <laughs> horrible tribe on planet Earth. It's like, we go back to Fong, and they're just like, well, we only have, like, 30 handfuls. We need to ration. We're, we're going to run out in five or six days. And it's like, Koda has so much rice, but then they're like, Dan is eating a little bit extra of rice and portions and vegetables and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, but, but they're just like, we, we still can totally, like, last three extra games, but... We really want to save it, you know? So, like, it's just this, you know, food, food is a, one of the weird only forms of currency that are kind of out there. So everyone is very careful about rationing it and making sure everything's equal and all that sort of stuff. And it's just, it's how it goes. But at the same time, you can sort of tell Coda's got no problems with food.
0: Yeah. And the good news about Fong is they pretty much reached rock bottom on their rice consumption. It's not like somebody's going to spill some of the rice or anything.
2: Yeah, yeah, no. Why would you do that?
0: <laughs> all right. So speaking of currency... We have the one form of currency in the game, which is food, and now we'll go to the other form of currency, which is the immunity idol. And this is where Ace tells Sugar, um, you know everybody knows you have the idol, right? They went through your bag last night. They're openly talking about it.
3: She so seems so it's... alarmed by this. She's so like she cares so much that people know. She literally like shrugs her shoulders like, eh, oh well.
0: <laughs> sugar, I, I still find sugar fascinating. I that's mm. the, to me that's like the, the litmus test on if you like the season. Do you find sugar fascinating or not? I can never ever tell if she's this genius that has this master plan or just doesn't really know what's going on and doesn't care and she'll waffle right between the two from time to time and this is one of those like i don't care <laughs> is
1: is that a genius movie she messing with everyone or is she not you have no idea and not only does she say i don't care that people are going through my bag on top of that she's going to say i don't care that people are going through my bag i also don't care that i'm giving my idol away to somebody else yeah So this
0: is where ACS says, why don't you let me hold on to the idol? No, she suggests it. She's like, how about I give you the idol for now so you feel safe? And he's like, well, bless your heart. I would love that. So here's my James Bond villain. Yeah, go ahead.
2: (laughs) Here's my other question is that every once in a while, you know, again, we talk about like three days of footage with the 43 minute episodes. Sugar even talks about in the previous tribal council when they voted out um, GC that, you know, you know, they, Jeff Probst was asking her about the idol and blah, 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 and she just – I think she mentioned something like, yeah, you know, now that I know that people can look through people's bags. Like, doesn't she mention that at Tribal Council? She does. It comes up, yeah. Right, it comes up. And then we have this thing where Ace is like, everyone knows you have the idol because they look through your bag. My question is, was that conversation actually the day after that Tribal Council, or was that from previous few days that they inserted now because – yeah. They're going to run with it.
3: Well, I don't know, but Stacy from Fiji's heart was hurting somewhere when she <laughs> saw it, when she saw that happen. <laughs> but Wasn't yeah, I mean,
0: was killing the baby with the French press. Yeah.
2: <laughs> was oh, her heart hurting after anything? Same woman, yes. I I think here's here's the thing about sugar. I I, I think that a lot of people and they're they're going to have a lot of sugar talk over these next few episodes. Well, all the time. And by the way, I'm a big fan of sugar, so you know. You, you know where I stand on this, but it, again, it's one of those things where I think Sugar Sugar is way smarter than people think she is, mm-hmm. but the question is, Is Sugar was Sugar out there actively trying to game this game and win a million dollars based on game?
0: Yeah. Or is she just messing with people's heads?
2: Or is she messing with people's heads, or is she just out there doing her thing, which is like, I'm going to do these things, and if people like it, great, and if they don't, they don't, but you know she found herself in a very unique position throughout a lot of this game where she was she was safe ironically from a lot of things and i think that you know because of that she was able to sort of she, in a lot of ways she sort of had no business being in the positions she was in and yet she was in them and i think that she relished it but at the same time she made decisions that Maybe other people wouldn't have made or unpredictable things here. I'm not going to say bad decisions because she did quite well for herself, but she made interesting decisions.
1: I think it goes back to what she said on Exile the first time, which is, I don't know how this game works, but I'm going to figure it out as it goes along. I mean, this might be me being a little naive, but I I honestly do believe that Sugar is honestly trying to figure out how to play this game. It's just a little more mistake fraught than maybe someone like kenny who was also vocalized the fact that he's trying to figure out this game that as it goes along i mean the next episode or even later on this episode she's gonna tell kenny like oh yeah i gave ace the idol and kenny's like why the hell would you do that and she's like oh yeah i guess this is a bad idea so i'll get rid of ace next round i honestly think it might come down to just these random impulses that she has of thinking you know it's not even thinking like three days ahead it's thinking literally in the moment and saying like okay, I guess I better do this to help me get further in the game and think about the repercussions later.
0: See, yeah. the thing that I got from this when I was watching it is that it seems to me, and I, this, again, just one opinion, that it could be wrong, but it seems to me she's trying to figure out the game, but she gets kind of overwhelmed by the fact that she just hates everyone. Everyone's mean, they just lie. People are trying, playing way too hard, it's way too seriously, and it's almost like she's just going to mess up everyone else's game just because she hates them. And again, that's a perfectly valid way of, of, of playing Survivor. I would love to do that if I ever played it. But I think that's one of the reasons that people just don't like her or the season, because it's like she's not doing the moves that would be good for Survivor. She's just messing up other people's moves.
1: No, that's a good point. She's very emotionally driven. We're going to see that in the last episode we're going to talk about in this batch in the merge episode where she is the pivotal swing vote. But I think one of the reasons why she doesn't swing over to the Onion Alliance is, A, she hates Randy, and B, she loves Maddie. And that's what it's going to come yeah. down to. That's why she saves Maddie with this immunity idol all the way near the end of the game. And this is why she lets Bob go to the fire-making tiebreaker challenge. She is so emotionally driven. And like you said, Mario, there are upsides to that and there are downsides as well.
2: Right. And we're we're in these... Again, I think I think we mentioned that, that this is like the college years of Survivor. You know, like it's, it's out of the, the basic game. We're not into what I guess we call like, quote-unquote, modern Survivor. And I, I think one of the crux of modern Survivors is that you know, as the game has evolved through the seasons and everything like that, people emotion is always a thing in Survivor. You can never take emotion completely out of Survivor. But people using votes and flipping over and, and, and doing split votes and, and, and all these sorts of things like this is something that becomes common and not only common, but just standard. Right. Whereas, you know, it's starting to get there now. But I think people still, I mean, remember Lil back in Survivor Pearl Islands. It's just like Lil found something out about somebody and said, well, I need to go vote them out now. You know, and she just cuts the swath through the game. And it's like Sugar sort of does that with this season in the sense that, like, she understands. I I feel like Sugar, I'm not going to say that, you know, she had everything figured out and she was four steps ahead of everybody else. But I think that Sugar could see what she should do. Mm -hmm. But then I think she also saw what she could do. Yeah. And so sometimes she did what she wanted to do, which was which was a could and not a should. But at the same time, it worked out for her. <laughs> so, you know, it's interesting that way, I guess.
0: I think she's really good at reading other people's motivations. She knows yeah. what other people are trying to do. Yeah. And I think really that's more important to her than what she should do. It's like, what does this person want to do? What does this person want to do? And which one do I want to ruin? Or which one yeah, do I, I want to go
2: I with? I don't want them to do that thing. So yeah. I will prevent that thing yeah she's and, brilliant in a way I mean in a way of just reading people
3: yeah I think like you just hit the hit the um what's the that expression with the, the nail, nail under the head? Uh, right. I pulled the down there with my prepositions there. But what you said at the beginning, Mario, that I think a huge part of... it You can buy into Gabon if you can buy into Sugar. If you can like really buy into the fascination of Sugar and try to figure out what she's doing and you're into it, I think that really opens the door for you to like Gabon. But if you're completely turned off by the whole spectacle that is Sugar, I think it's really hard to fall in love with Gabone.
1: Yeah. I also, I also no, want to highlight uh, the the another little thing that happens in this Ace Sugar scene, which you know we really heaped praises onto fong finding the elephant across the river uh last podcast but here ace is sort of giving this requisite confessional about how he feels like you know the power position has changed and i'm really in power but you sort of see the camera sort of just like rack focus to what's going on in the background which is this elephant just sort of crossing the lake and he pulls a little bit of a greg booist ace does and sort of just stops midway through his speech to just observe this elephant crossing the river and again it's Super simple, and it takes like two seconds, but it just speaks to the unbelievable environment that they're in. Even though they are running out of rice and they're going to resort to eating turtles later on in this episode, it's stocked full of wildlife and full of character, and that's what makes this season so rich in that aspect.
0: Yeah, this is our cool flying fish moment where Ace is distracted by an elephant behind him. By the way, I do have to point something out, something uh, just realized. Uh, someone we mentioned last episode, we were talking about Ace's tattoo on his shoulder. It's yep. like the, the double diamond. Someone pointed out to me that's an Alcoholics Anonymous tattoo. Ah. Hmm. That's an AA. I didn't know that, but someone pointed that out to me, so just thought I might find that interesting.
2: I, would, I did not
0: know that. That is an interesting factoid. Exactly. I knew something Paul didn't know. I'm very excited.
3: Congratulations. <clears throat>
0: okay, so. You're pretty
3: condescending, which is not a good thing.
0: <laughs> Sometimes. You know, it is a good thing. Good thing. It's a good way. Alright, so yeah, we have the quote here where A where Sugar has deduced that Ace is a snake. She says, I gave him my idol for now and she says, you know, he's kind of a snake, but he's my snake. And that, that's a good quote. Fantastic. That would that quote would've fit in very well in the first season. As I sugar feel you very well, it.
1: Sugar. I like snakes too.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> we'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah, so and then uh we have uh Ace says, you know, I'm in complete supremacy now. I'm like a sleek weasel. So, okay, so here we go. So this is where we are heading into the Episode 5 Reward Challenge. And this is the uh, the Ulong uh, uh, Oolong, Oolong Immunary Memorial Challenge, where you run around and try to catch the people on the other side, correct?
1: Yes. Yeah. This up, is the... pursuit.
0: pursuit. Yeah, one of the more grueling challenges in Survivor history. It's one of those that I love watching, and I would never want to be a part of because it looks horrible. Yes, yeah, this is the one from Palau. They have to chase each other around in a circle, and they're all carrying a bunch of weight. And surprisingly, Fong is not going to do that well in this one. Well, we should we
1: should we should bring up the differences between this and the iterations that we saw in Palau and Cook Islands, though, because first of all, they are on land. Uh, they're You're not in water. Yep. Yet yeah, they're they're running a dirt track, so you don't have this this added element where one half of the track is in deeper water, so it becomes harder to wade through. But they are not only you know hanging on to weight bags. Speaking of snakes, they are. Each tribe is toting a twenty foot. 200-pound snake to carry between all six of them.
2: Yeah, which, which adds, I think, an interesting element as to how this plays out in, in, the, in the sense that, you know, in, in other challenges, you see sometimes some of the weaker members that are tethered to the other members because everyone's kind of holding their own bags of weight. And then people drop out and they just literally give their bags to someone else, which are, it adds weight, but at the same time, they're, they're bags. So, that, you know, everyone's sort of you're, you know, you, you give it to one of your stronger members who's still in the race they're able to shoulder or weigh that that cumbersome burden however they want. But this is, like, a long snake. So, like, you drop out, then other people have to, like, readjust where they are on the snake or wrap the snake around them. Like, it, it's not as convenient to sort of bear the burden of the weight, which is going to get Fong in trouble real fast. Yeah.
0: Also, as a bit of Survivor trivia, the long snake is a tribute to Troyzan. Yeah, hopefully enough people get that joke. All right. So here we go. So uh, there's a great moment at the start of the challenge where Randy sees that GC has been voted out of Fong. Big Randy fist pump, and he gives him a thumbs up because he hated GC above everyone else. And uh, okay, so here we go. So we have uh, the reward for this one is a big bunch of pastries. What do they get? Croissants, fruit tarts, eclairs, coffee, tea. And uh, so anyway, you know which tribe is going to end up getting that
1: weird strategy for the tribes here just because i feel like again with the previous variant that we've seen on this you want to put one of your stronger members up front and one of your stronger members in the back right because those are probably the two most position dependent uh positions (laughs) on the snake uh so you know they put marcus up front for coda they put kelly up for fong in the front i'm really not entirely sure why they decided to put her up there especially above the Olympic track star, or the two other athletic guys, but it's very clear from the get-go, uh, Kelly is not going to do great in challenges whatsoever this episode. So this is just the beginning. Maybe I think she, she must Jackie. have sold
3: herself. <laughs> yeah, maybe thought she was Jackie, or maybe she just sold herself really well. Like she was, you know, was about twenty dollars good at that challenge, and she really sold herself for more. But clearly, that does not pay off.
0: Paul is fixated on that
2: jeans.
3: <laughs> Queen of denim, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, exactly. The the thing. Queen
1: stays queen.
2: He, he's he's got the he's got the he's got the one factoid about Kelly, and we're just we're, we're running with it. That's all we got. Listen, so. that's
1: one more factoid that any of us had about Kelly coming to this podcast. So I'm
2: not I'm not besmirching the factoid. I'm just saying that's the factoid. So Mario's like, wow, he's really on that one Kelly factoid. It's like, yeah, that's what we got. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm sure she has an interesting blood type or something. There's got to be something else about her. All right, so here we go. We're running around in a circle and uh, hey, guess what? Sugar and Ken and Kelly all drop out really fast on Fong. So now now left, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now we're left with Maddie, Ace, and Crystal, which basically is Maddie and Ace. There's just factor Crystal out of this.
2: Well, I love it because like again, it's where the snake comes into into effect, right? Where like Maddie is frustrated because they're they're not running fast and they're losing ground and Crystal's not holding up her weight. And so then Maddie like yells at her and says, Crystal, if you can't hold it, just drop out. And she drops out, and Ace is basically. You just see Ace like, "Maddie," <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I just love Maddie yelling again, going to that surfer lingo. He just goes, "Come on, bra!" Like I can't believe we actually heard someone pull out the term "bra" in a moment of desperation on Survivor, seventeen seasons in.
0: Maddie is so surfer. I guess I didn't re- realize that the first time I watched this, but he's so one hundred percent surfer. It's hilarious. All right, so yeah, so we basically have the entire Coda tribe chasing Maddie and Ace. And then, let's see, Susie drops out for Coda, and yeah, so anyway, Coda wins, and it's not close, it's it's just a complete blowout, and poor Maddie is just basically trying to carry the entire snake by himself at the end, which is a very good metaphor for Maddie's future in this game.
2: Yeah, so Coda wins, and then they uh, send Sugar to Exile Island, yay! <laughs>
0: yes. Although, we're going to get some excellent Randy taunting time here. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, this yeah. is some stuff that, that a lot of people remember this scene where... You know, Randy gets the the coda, gets all their pastries. And, of course, they get to eat it right there in front of the Codas, or in front of the fongs. And Randy, of course, is just savoring it and making the loudest noises. Mmm, oh, this is so delicious. Just taunting the poor fongs. And then Crystal starts crying. And Randy, of course, hates Crystal already. So Randy's like, wah, wah, wah. It's just some great heat we're developing in the season.
1: And on top of that, we're going to have several Randy confessionals this episode. Even, you know, he gets the post-challenge confessional where he says, like, you know what? You know what I like even more than winning challenges? Watching Fong lose. And then he's going to talk even at the reward, like we overhear snippets of his conversation where he's gloating to everybody about how Fong lost the reward. Uh, Ren is going to become rather fixated on a certain group of people losing in the next stretch of episodes. And it's so interesting because I remember when Jeff was sort of hyping up this season and he did like blog posts as well throughout the course of this season, he kept talking about how like the back half of the season was all about the good people versus the bad people, the weird thing about Survivor Gabon is that I'm not sure which group is which, <laughs> because it's, 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 like, it's clear that like the Fongs are going to be the underdogs, but at the same time, you feel like they're being painted as the bad people since the CODAs are winning, but the Kodas are also being very mean and vindictive, so it really depends on your judgment as to who's good and who's bad in this case. Yep,
0: and I should point out, as we mentioned, Sugar went to exile. This is now her fourth consecutive trip to Exile Island, and it will not be her last.
2: Gabon has this weird two thing going, and I, and you can already see it with the previous episodes, but especially in this middle stretch. Pay attention, boys and girls at home, for what's going on, because there's two sort of overarching, th- overarching things that are going on with Gabon. One is bad alliance management, and the other one is um, is, is just your, your general attitude towards people outside of your alliance in general. And it, it's you know, you're gonna see again, it's it's this fixation with pairs, but it's all about working people down the alliance that aren't very good. And you know, Randy's taunting is something where like, hey, Randy wants to taunt, that's all fun, and he hey, it got him back on heroes versus villains. So, you know, hey, there's something cool with that. But again, it's the whole fact where like, you know, you can tell that Randy did not like some of the people on Fong and and, you know, he really wanted to rub it into them. But this game, Survivor spe- uh, Gabon's going to take a lot of twists and turns, and it's like, probably taunting the other team is not going to help you down the road, and that's sort of how this is going to go.
0: I'd argue that's 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 a good that's an excellent analysis, and I think you're right, but I think the gamble that Randy is taking, and I've I've said this before, I think, on other podcasts, that sometimes hating and taunting your opponents is a good way to bond with your allies. Like, if he's visibly taunting these, his opponents... I think that would appeal to someone like Corinne, who who's trying to get in good with. So I, don't, I, there, I think there's always a method to Randy's madness. I don't think he's doing it just to be mean. I think that's his way of bonding with the onions. They're just kind of a mean little group, and this is how he bonds with them. So I, I think you're correct, but I also don't think he's doing it just to be a jerk.
2: I, I don't necessarily think he's doing it just to be a jerk, but at the same time, it's, okay, so you're doing one thing there, but it's the expense of what? It's, 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 it's an interesting sort of conundrum.
0: You just have to remember he's in a very precarious position trying to get in with this new alliance.
1: Mm. And we're going to get into this with the next episode specifically, but there's this other prevalent theme. I know we're talking about a lot of themes in Survivor Go but another big one is this idea of not having a filter in Survivor and whether or not that's a good thing. We, we Randy's going to talk about it. Corinne's going to talk about it. Crystal's going to talk about it a little bit. And you can sort of see the, the benefits and the drawbacks of not having a filter in that, you know, Randy's going to really vocalize this at the Double Tribal Council that, you know, the, the benefits are that everyone knows where I'm coming from, and, you know, I can be myself. The drawback are that, everyone knows where I'm coming from, and I can be myself. So this is one example here where, as you said, you guys are both outlining the pros and cons of it. He's able to really, you know, kowtow to those that are in power on Coda by saying, I hate those guys. At the same time, he's definitely alienating people that he's going to meet up with at least some amalgam of at the merge.
0: Yeah, it's a... Uh... It's very interesting, some of the stuff that's going to come up here. And although there's a good quote from Crystal here, where Crystal, in a confessional, flat out tells us, I'm never going to get along with Randy. She's like, I don't like him. He's a mean little troll. We'll never get along. And she's like, I don't play like that. Do not disrespect me like this. So yeah, the Crystal-Randy thing is going to come up again later.
3: Uh, the whole Crystal crying is an homage to uh, the Amber Burkage, so tired of losing.
0: Yes, exactly. It was a- Unfortunately, Crystal, Crystal goes-
3: can't rally, as Gogokor did, but... Crystal
0: not rally. She's the opposite of rallying.
2: Yeah, I feel bad. I mean, it, it's tough, right? I mean, you get you know, we saw it with Oolong, right? <laughs> and, and all those sorts of things. But, you know, there are people like, you know, you can tell that Maddie's frustrated and Maddie doesn't want to lose all of these sorts of challenges and stuff like that. But, you know, Crystal is hyper-competitive. And it's just I can't even imagine if my survivor experience was literally getting on a tribe that was dysfunctional and losing for like two weeks straight.
0: Just imagine, I've played basketball games, like, I lose once and I'm pissed. Like, they're losing everything for two
2: weeks. Right, I mean, I think Jeff says, is it this episode where he's basically won two out of ten challenges? Like, think about that. Two out of ten challenges.
0: I think that's actually every Previously On segment.
2: Oh my lord.
0: By the way, last last podcast I was talking about how Randy was getting a fantastic winner's edit. Just kind of strike that at this point. He's no longer getting a winner's edit. Yeah, it's what, what I was really watching through these episodes what I was noticing is that uh, Maddie and Ken are getting some really good winners at it
1: yeah so, we're, we're, yeah. we're going to talk about the great edic implosion that happens when Marcus goes but after Marcus goes the two leading contenders to win by a mile back in the day were Kenny and Maddie and we're specifically going to see in this batch of episodes Kenny's rise to power and in next part we're going to be definitely going to be talking about his subsequent fall
2: yeah, yeah. Ken, Ken goes through a very sharp incline and then a very sharp decline um, you know, and I think that there's there's stuff against his winner edit, even especially in these groups of episodes. But I agree with you. At this point, Kenny Star is rising, as mm-hmm. is Maddie's. But and you know, obviously, we've got the golden Coda childs of you know Marcus and Charlie and stuff like that. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Right, but hey, so look, we... they win their award. They get all the croissants, and Dan wants to eat it all. Yeah, I know. So they have to go back. Coda has to go back to
0: camp and split up all the pastries, so Dan won't eat all their pastries. <laughs> And so, again, this is the only thing going on at Coda is food wars with Dan at this point.
1: Well, then, on top of that, Dan talks about making these pastries, quote-unquote, gravy, which I guess means dessert in a way. He says, like, well, you know, we should still eat some rice, and then we can have this as sort of extra. And Charlie brings up, like, no, we want this as a substitute for rice so that we have more rice later on, which— Again, it's just another confessional. This is basically Coda's entire thing this episode, is Dan keeps alienating himself by being essentially a glutton, at least from this perspective.
2: Yeah, Which is weird, because I actually sort of see where he's coming from when they're talking about the splitting it up. Because, you know, they get, like, their reward is, you know, it's like there's eclairs and, and croissants and, and fruit little things and all this sort of stuff. And I I think what's going on is that they're, they're talking about how there's like an equal ish number of these individual sort of desserts that are going on. But I'm one of those people where like, I, you know, I know that this is blasphemy and whatnot, but I, eclairs is not really my favorite thing on planet earth. If I were starving on survivor, I would totally eat one like that. That's how it goes. But you know, Coda's eating pretty well. It seems like they're not super starving. And some of the people are like, yeah, you know, that one's not my favorite. And so Dan was basically asking, you know, and I think Marcus was basically pointing out along the lines of, OK, if other people like eclairs, then maybe they get two of those and we'll give this person two of this and stuff like that. But Dan was just basically being like, well, if they don't like their thing, then maybe we just split it among the rest of us, you know, like they forfeit it, you know, which which, again, maybe a greedier point of view. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, eh, you know, it's a legit question. He's just trying to figure out how to divide the food. And then the codos are like, well. That'll this will substitute one of our meals and, and and we'll push back a rice meal. And Dan's like, no, we want it. Let's just eat the rice and eat this, you know. And then, of course, you know, which we'll is followed up with Randy basically saying he's got an alien himself from Dan. So he's like, yeah, Dan, you do that. You eat the stuff. Eat the stuff. Good.
0: It's a great confessional from Randy where, you know, Dan's becoming a problem. He's kind of unpleasant to deal with. And, you know, when Randy is saying that about someone that says something it's like, yeah, I got to distance myself from this guy. He's bad news. Okay, so anyway, so we have the the eclair wars going on at Coda. Now we go back to Exile Island. Uh, Sugar, of course, is crying. She feels guilty because she's getting all this food. No one else does. She sleeps with her teddy bear. It's a very Sugar scene. We've seen it before. We will see it again.
2: What an interesting concept, though, just with Mm -hmm. this Exile Island. I actually love it in, in a weird way, this whole, like, look for the clue or get the comfort, because... They kept sending sugar because they wanted to isolate, you know, where the immunity idols come from. And it's like sugar's on this losing tribe that is rationing this really low amount of rice. And it's like she's going into the sugar shack and eating like an entire bowl of fruit, you know, and then she's sitting there going like, I'm sad because I'm actually doing okay, And the rest of the tribe isn't, which you would figure would be opposite for Exile Island.
0: She's like getting so much food. She's like throwing the extras to the turtles and the fish. And I know at one point I saw there was a pineapple in there that had been hollowed out in the middle like an apple. It was the weirdest thing. Like, who eats a pineapple like that? But I don't know if the producers cut it that way. Like, how much food is she getting in
2: there? A lot. Yeah. Like, she's getting a whole bowl of fruit for her couple of days that she's in there. I mean, that's that'll sustain you.
1: Again, rather ironic that that when Dan went to Exile Island, he chose not to take that, considering that apparently he's known for taking as much food as possible nowadays. (laughs)
0: Yeah, (laughs) it could have been the Dan Shack. All right. So uh, so we go back to Fong and now Crystal is upset or she's mad because she cried at the challenge and people are going to interpret that as weakness. And sure enough, we see uh, the blue jean Queen Kelly saying "Oh, Crystal sucks. She's crying. She wants to leave just like GC. So here we go. It's round two of GC again.
3: oh i just love this little bit of kelly we get because she kind of fizzles out this episode there's some great lines from kelly at the trouble she Council kind now. of
2: fizzles out this episode
3: she did i mean she, she she was very quiet and she had you know i like try to sell kelly so much because i actually do love her i was talking to my uh my sister-in-law who listened to the podcast and she had said beforehand she was one of the people who was like you gotta stick up for jackie and i was like and i talked to her today and i was like yeah we're recording historians did you hear me stick up for jackie she's like yeah i'm like "Can you hear me talk about kelly she's like yeah i just i i I don't get it with her. I, I don't get it. Sorry. Like she, even my own sister-in-law couldn't fake it with me with Kelly, but like I Jackie just love fan her. can't handle Kelly love, right? You know, it's bad when the Jackie fan. won't stick up for Kelly, but like, I just love her, her confessions here where she's just like, you don't need to cry. And uh, I just love how this scene like evolves with uh, with Crystal go- with you know Kelly walking off and, and talking about it, and Crystal just kind of you know walks up behind him there, and um you know wants to make sure that do not view her tears as a sign of weakness. And it's a really awkward scene where Kelly turns around, she's like, "Whoa, how'd you get here?" And Crystal says, "Same as you, walked." And uh, <laughs> Crystal's defense of the whole thing is that you know we all get depressed. Mine just comes out through my eyes. Um, so that's a joke that I've had for a long time with friends about, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not crying. I just have depression through my eyes.
1: Now, this is the conversation that where Ace and Kelly sort of get pulled aside. And it seems like in the moment that Ace is the one that is making the GC comparison, but this is the one at tribal council that he's going to turn around on Kelly, right? Yes.
0: Because he can't understand that how she could understand anything he says. So Kelly fizzles out here as opposed to the dynamo she was through the first four episodes.
3: That's okay, we'll revisit some Kelly lines at the end of uh, at the end of this episode. So you just wait. I'll be back. All
0: right. So yeah, so yeah, I like how Crystal goes, you know, Kelly's about to feel the wrath of Crystal. And the wrath of Crystal is basically going out and asking what what's going on. And that's really the extent of the wrath of Crystal.
3: She walked up behind them.
0: How does Crystal sneak up on anybody? I mean, honestly. <laughs> You know, she's tripping and falling. She's not wearing her 10-pound shoes, so that's the first step. Just picture, like, the Jolly Green Giant sneaking up on somebody. Ho, ho, ho. Ah. Like, how does, how does Crystal sneak up on you?
2: I am going to be the only one on this podcast to stick up Crystal Cox. I think, and I said it the last podcast, I think Crystal, like, if we're talking about how Sugar can read people pretty well, which I agree with, I actually think that Crystal has a decent read on people as well. Um, she can't execute the the reading on on things but you know as as crystal and kenny pull off some moves here in the next little bit i think a lot of it is just crystal doing some stuff so so you know yeah she's having a weak moment here and you know what's funny is i think crystal sort of thought that she was going to come into survivor and be a humongous asset in all of the challenges which we've all made fun of in the in the sense that she didn't do so well in the challenges i was you know again there was that one gif on the internet of her like in the in the, in the the Fruit Ninja Challenge where she, like, can't hit anything. I mean, it's just... <laughs> How do you miss best. that
0: pineapple? There's no way she should have missed that pineapple. <laughs> that is the
2: best. <laughs> but it's like, what Crystal does not bring to this game uh, as far as, like, physical challenge, stuff like that, like, Crystal actually brings a bunch to this game just on the, on the, the gameplay aspect of it, and I think that she's going to shine here in a little bit. So, like, the fact that she chases after Kelly and tries to clear it up, and, you know, Kelly's like, how'd you get there? It's like, yeah, Crystal's going to, you know, try to do things. So I, I actually, I'm I'm with it.
1: I'd agree with I that. I
0: will actually agree with you. Yeah, I agree with you. She's actually very sharp in her read on people.
1: Yeah, as soon as as soon as soon she gets back to camp, uh, she's like, okay, I snapped out of my funk. She gets back. She's like, okay, I know what's happening. Ace and Kelly went off to go talk shit about me. And that's exactly what happened. So as you said, Jay, she has a really good read on the situation. In terms of execution, it might not necessarily measure up, but she yeah. at least gets a good feel for what's going on.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And we learn. she gives a quote later, that you do not outwit Crystal Cox, baby.
2: Yeah. And, I mean, that, that, that's a problem with Survivor in general, right? Like, I, I feel like a lot of people who've been voted out in seasons previous to this and seasons after this are people that you can tell they have a decent read on the game. Like, they can tell you what's going on, you know? And they're like, oh, this is not going my way. I'm going to get voted out. And then everyone's just like, why don't you fight? Why don't you scramble? Why don't you flip the numbers? And it's like, you know, maybe sometimes they don't. But I, I'm sure that, in a lot of the times, they try. They just can't. Right. And, and I don't necessarily think that's like a shortcoming in the sense of like, oh, they're terrible because they can't flip the numbers. It's like it's got to be in other people's benefits or you got to convince them at least that it's in their benefits. And it's like if you can't do that, you can't do that. But you can see it coming sometimes. I feel like that's how I would be if I ever played Survivor. I'd be like, well, votes are going against me. And then I try to convince people and they're like, no, we're not going with you. And I'm like, well, I'm going to get voted out. And then I get voted out. And then I'm like, well, well, and then everyone's like below Ashby line. And that's how it goes.
0: We call you Purple J for the rest of the Yeah,
2: life. that's how, you know, these things happen.
0: All right, so now we're going to get to a particularly interesting scene. Unpleasant, if you are a turtle lover. But we are getting to the scene where uh, they catch a turtle over on Coda.
2: Those are dangerous, by the way. Those are super dangerous.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I'd, I'd tune out for the next, like, minute and a half if you are an animal lover or not a fan of graphic content. But Corinne, obviously, in the most recent years... Has uh, started doing this Survivor All the Fixins podcast with Max Dawson from Survivor Worlds Apart. And with it, she brings a myriad of Survivor Gabon stories. But the one that sticks out to me is Corinne sort of gives the behind the scenes of what happened with this turtle that they caught. And, you know, they they sort of – Dan sort of educates Bob about it on the show as well. But turtles are tough because turtles are in a shell. And what you kind of have to do to do to to you know be able to get some nice nummy gum gumbo out of it, as Susie says, is you need to essentially while it's still alive, sort of go in there and cut it out and like separate it from its shell. Then you crack the shell open and then you cube it and you boil it. And Corinne volunteered to you know kill this unfortunate turtle, but as soon as like she smelled the dead turtle's flesh, she decided to uh, not imbibe with it, even though the rest of Koda did. So. We all learned uh, through a variety of means how exactly you need to kill a turtle if need be.
3: It's okay. They brought out Courtney, uh, Merritt, and she you know, drew a heart around it and <laughs> kind of rolled it back into the lake. So it was all good.
0: I have to say, my, my wife is a huge turtle lover. It's her favorite animal. And I was watching Gabon the other day, this episode, and I said, oh, look, they found a little turtle. They have a pet. And she, I called her over to check this out. So she gets to watch them graphically devour and kill a turtle. So that was I lost some cool husband points on that one.
2: I do like the quote here from Susie where she says, like, have you ever had gumbo turtle soup out here in the jungle in Africa? No, Susie, I have not.
0: Only coach has. (laughs) Oh, wait, that's next season. I gotta hold my coach jokes. I gotta wait. All right, so Coda is at their highest high. They're eating turtle now. Dan has, like, 12 pastries. It's amazing. Dan has explained to them how to get a turtle out from the shell. Um, there's, I'm sure there's a preposition joke in there somewhere. I'm, not, I'm too lazy to go for it. All right, episode five, Immunity Challenge. This is the one where there's, like, an obstacle course. You have to go, th- go to three different obstacles and get these flags and come back and build a big flagpole. And, Coda wins. Uh, Coda wins, but it's actually exciting.
1: Well, here's the thing, guys. I know that, Mario, you talked last episode about the fact that of the first 20 seasons, Gabon is the one you probably remember the least. This is probably the only challenge in the first 20 seasons of Survivor that I have completely forgotten about. And maybe, just, <laughs> maybe it's just because of all the other fun challenges that happen throughout the course of Gabon. But we get to this challenge and I said, I've never seen this happen in my life. Like, I don't know what exactly happened to me in the fall of 2008 that allowed me to lose memory of this five minutes of a challenge, because it's not really run-of-the-mill. It's exciting, at least a little bit. As you mentioned, Mario, it, it gets pretty climactic at a certain point. But for the life of me, this has just disappeared into the gray matter through the years. I had no idea this challenge ever existed in Survivor up until this point.
0: It's the same thing. I mean, even looking at my notes now, I'm trying to remember it. I'm like, okay, what was this challenge again?
1: Yeah, it, it's it's like the, an
2: amalgam of things we've seen in the past, but none of it is presented in a particularly dynamic way. You know, it, it's, it's sort of the amalgam of a lot of future things, where it's like, go there, untie some knots, and get some bags, and I don't know, throw it at a thing like a carnival challenge. And that's sort of what this was back in the day. Like, as much as we talk about how this season has had some great challenges and we're going to come up on a couple of great ones in this next episode. This one is very run-of-the-mill and forgettable and just sort of uh, an amalgam of things they've done in past things. It's like they have to go out into pairs that are they're tethered together and they need sure. to run an... Ob- yeah, the pairs of the teams, they, they need to run out onto the obstacle course uh, and, and navigate the obstacle course, whatever it is, and then they basically get to the end of it and then they have to untie a couple of pole sections for a flagpole, basically. And then they need to run back to the start. And then the next pair goes out there and navigates the obstacles and unties. It's just a, a matter of navigating an obstacle course, untie some flagpoles, come back. And then when everyone's back, then you have to assemble basically this puzzle-like flagpole and raise your flag. I mean, it's it's just very standard survivor yeah. challenge, right? And, and and you know, it's, it's in the woods. It doesn't have huge scenery. It, it's all that sort of stuff.
3: Right. I mean, they do use the terrain a little bit, having to go into the jungle and stuff, and you come out and it's in the clearing. And the most difficult part is because when you're trying to assemble the flagpole, you have Erica who's sitting there just like screaming at you that you're doing it wrong. Um, so that's like kind of the last hurdle of it. I do have oh, to say, boy. there's
0: one part in this challenge, if people haven't watched it again uh, recently. There's a scene where they have to like navigate their way under, under the, these obstacles and go through like all these barriers. And, and Maddie and Ken, who are far behind, just decide, you know, fuck it. We're just going to run on top of the obstacle course, which is kind of funny. It's very outside-the-box thinking. And they actually have this huge comeback in this challenge to make it close. So Maddie and Ken completely outsmart the challenge. They just don't even bother with the obstacle. They run on top of it. It's kind of a cool little moment. And again, this would have been a really cool comeback win for Fong if that had happened. But what happens is to get to the end, they have to assemble the flagpole. And guess what? Coda works really well with their puzzle. And on Fong, Ace just decides, I'm going to do it all myself, and he fails. So Coda comes back and wins, and it's the same same old, same old.
1: What they don't show is that it's, it's Kenny and Maddie and Marcus and Dan, and Kenny and Maddie pass them. But they miss the scene where Marcus tells Dan, okay, we need to go sideways through the obstacles. And Dan decides, okay, that means over. And that's how he's able to catch up to that pair. The Dan Translation. The Dan Translator, yes. The Dan Whisperer.
2: Yeah. It's akin to, I don't know, like some sports team gaining like a, a a clear lead and then another team scratching and clawing to come all the way back only to lose it in the final second or inning or something like that. And that's sort of how this challenge goes, is that the first pair for Coda gets a huge lead because who, who does Fong run out there? Is it is it Sugar and Kelly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's have. Kelly... I think, I think it's Kelly and Sugar in the first leg, and they fall, and it's mainly Kelly, again, lol, but, you know, they, they fall horrifically behind. And so, basically, after leg one, Coda has this gigantic lead, and then in leg two, uh, Fong makes up a bit of the distance, but going into the final leg, Coda's got Marcus and Dan, right? And you're like, well, okay, they're going to close this out, it's over. But then Maddie and Ken do the climb over the thing, and they, they actually come back first with mm-hmm. the uh, with the pieces, and you're like, oh my god, Fong like, took the lead, and this is how it's going to go, and then they get to the, the puzzle, and Ace starts, you know, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to assemble this thing, and it's like, Ace is yelling at everyone, let me do this, let me do this, and it's like, Koda goes over there and solves their flagpole in like two seconds, and, you know, it, it was one of those things where like, they get back to the mat, and they're untying their pieces and assembling their thing roughly around the same time, like when Fong made up the, the time, they basically sort of just had like, a couple seconds lead but then they get to their flagpole, and it's like, Fong can't even get one piece in correctly. <laughs> Ace can't get one piece in correctly. Ace, Ace can't get one piece in correctly, and you know Coda just gets their flagpole together, and they raise it. And it's just like, it's not even close at the end. And It's like, Fong had that great comeback, and it's like, well, it didn't matter, because they couldn't get one piece of their puzzle correct.
0: Yeah, that was too bad. So anyway, Fong loses again. Guess, I guess we're going back to Tribal Council. And uh, it's basically going to come down to now a showdown. Uh, I think Crystal and Ken want to vote out Ace, I believe. And everyone else wants to vote out Kelly. And Maddie's kind of in the middle, because Maddie should be with Crystal and Ken, but he's kind of in with Ace now, too. So it's really going to become this whole kerfuffle here with uh, whose loyalty does Maddie really have at this point. And I'm going through my notes here, and none of this looks remotely interesting enough to talk
1: about. The only thing is, we mentioned it before, uh, Kenny goes to Sugar, and we're starting to see... Uh, the, uh, you know, unlike the Maddie-Kenny relationship, the Sugar-Kenny relationship definitely develops in that Sugar's basically going to, like, supplant for a short time Ace as her number one, and instead it's going to be Kenny because Kenny gives her attention and trust in her. Um, and, you know, Sugar decides to tell Kenny in that moment that, like, oh, yeah, I gave Ace the idol, and Kenny just says, are you crazy? And she's like, oh, should I, should I take it back? He's like, yeah, yeah, you should take the idol back. Uh, s- so she's able to do that successfully, um, there's also some irony in there in that, you know, Kenny encourages Sugar, like, you need to be able to hold on to the idol when Kenny is going to have his game essentially blasted to smithereens because of that idol that Sugar is currently in possession of. Good point.
2: Yeah, and and this is something that sort of came up. It was when we talked about earlier that Ace and Maddie sort of created an alliance that with each other and they were bringing in their seconds. It was the fact that, like, they they bonded that alliance by basically saying, you know, well you have to swear on your girlfriend and I'll swear on my mother or something like that. And they, they do that whole swearing on their family thing that they won't break it. And that was the whole thing where like Ken is, I feel, feel like trying to blindside Ace and he's got his buddy, Maddie and Maddie's like, well, I, I told Ace I wouldn't write his name down, dude. And I won't. So we've got that fun wrinkle into the, into the mix so, too.
0: Sorry, bra. Oh yeah. I do have to point out that Ken, Kenny makes a great, uh, uh, sw- uh there's a argument to sugar here where he says we nice, sweet people need to stick together. And i That's going to come in very handy down the road, because that will basically become Sugar's mantra. So it's kind of interesting it shows up for the first time here. As nice ones need to knock off the mean ones. And, of course, Kenny includes himself in the nice ones, which may not happen later. Okay, so while all this drama goes on, it's going to be either Ace or Kelly tonight. Let's see, we go to Tribal Council, and... uh, this is where Kelly versus Crystal, they start yelling at each other. I'm sure Paul knows this scene intimately since this is Kelly's last hurrah. Where I do. They, this
3: is the, they this they is the last time we get to crying. talk about Kelly. Yeah. All right, so no, feel free to monologue for a while, Paul. Right. Well, I think the best part about this is, is because you get this – Crystal starts talking and she's saying, you know, some of my trimates mates tend to take it as a weakness and will very well use it as a weakness tonight, obviously referring to her crying. And every time I watch this scene, I have the same reaction – as she's talking, there's a shot of Kelly nodding her head. And every time I'm watching it, I have the same reaction. I think right away, like, okay, uh uh-huh, right, I'm sure Kelly's nodding at this. Because there's so many times in travel Council where they splice in, you know, people reacting, and you have to second guess, okay, did that person really react to that person in that way, or is that just the edit? So every time I first see that, I go like, oh, I'm sure Kelly's just, like, really nodding at this. But sure enough, Jeff Probst says, Kelly, you're nodding your head. And then we get this really articulate line from Kelly in which she says, um, I never said she was weak, but when somebody cries, it's like, Why are you crying? Clearly something's like, um, you're just not stable <laughs> And then that sets you know sets Crystal off. She goes, thing, you don't know you don't know where my tears come from. They come from losing and if you don't understand that, you won't last that long in this game either. And then she talks a little bit and goes, Next question, please.
1: Oh, my, no, my favorite though is when she says, I'm not crying over no daggone Danishes
3: Oh yeah. It's a good alliteration there. I
0: like that Paul only remembers Kelly's quotes. He didn't know that Crystal had. Well, that's
3: funny too. But I just love how the, also Jeff Probst like has, does like a little clarifying statement. Said Kelly didn't say you were weak. She said you're not stable. <laughs> and Crystal says, that's "Yeah, worse. that's worse." <laughs> like, thanks, Well, there's Jeff. a great there's a great
0: Ace moment coming up here where mm-hmm. you know Kelly says Kelly and Ace start getting into it, and Ace says, uh, "Kelly, I'd be surprised if you understood me half the time." <laughs> So, yeah, Kelly's not going to go out with a bang here. It's not, it's not pretty. He goes also, out yeah. holding her
3: head high.
2: Potential Jeff Probst dick moment that doesn't happen. Uh, you know, it, this, this is a Jeff Probst standard when you have, like, crappy tribe going to tribal council for the umpteenth time. Where, you know, they get in, they get their torches, and Jeff is kind of sitting there with, like, his hands on his hips. And he's just, like, you know, he has that, like, that just exasperated look on his face. And he's just like, guys... What the hell? Why? Why are you here again? You know, and he, you know Jeff is going to diagnose the problem, right? Like, why? Why do you guys keep losing? What's going on, right? And like, I think Maddie is the one. He, he goes to Maddie, and Maddie says, "Like, we're cursed, man. There's something in our water, something in our rice. I don't know." And I mean, you know, I feel like modern day Jeff Probst. Look at him and go, "What rice? <laughs>
0: we're cursed, man. Like that cave in the Brady Bunch in Hawaii, brah. Good tiki's though, man. Nice rips."
3: <laughs> ah!
0: okay so anyway we're about to lose kelly and i feel horrible so we should say a little something about her um jack let's see jackie was very she was a good character
2: <laughs> i will say this about yeah. kelly that is without running that is literally the quickest you could get out of that mm. place after mm-hmm. he stuffs her torch like he's like kelly tribe of spoken she barely like just stands around for like the little music thing the whoa is Jeff like snuffs out the torch like he's like Kelly Tribe has spoken and I mean she books it she like takes off and is walking down that path at like a furious pace
1: and everyone's laughing at her too again like paul said these might be other splice shots but like everyone's smiling or chuckling we're not getting to like full-out guffaws like what happens with the randy boot also notable here i think a lot of people remember crystal's forget you go home goodbye from randy's boot specifically but we have some inklings we got a little bit of like pitch sessions going on with crystal and her catchphrases here where she tells kelly in her voting confessional forget you go home so no goodbye yet but i think she's workshopping it
3: okay you guys so one of my goals for this historians was you was to shed some light onto kelly and give her some you know some love and uh i think someone categorized her as below the ashby line uh, at the beginning of this podcast uh, on our last episode so i would like you to now tell me if your opinion or appreciation for kelly has changed at all hopefully for the better
0: she is still my least favorite member of the onions
3: she was not on the onions, Marlis, the other blonde what? girl. Try again. I guess, you
0: I guess you failed then, haven't you, Paul? <laughs> now, I still think she's well below the Ashby line, and you had a valiant uh, effort, but um, no, I don't think so.
1: I, I'll, I'll be more in the positive zone. I think she has some of these fun moments that you emphasized, and just her really weird confusing pattern of speaking that makes it feel like she's like a borderline cone head in the way she delivers things and puts syntax together that might put her a smidge just as a millimeter above the ashby line for me
3: okay i'll take it we i'm are from pick, france yeah, we,
2: we are picking the 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 tiniest of nits here if you're going like above or below the Ashby line the answer is not even to use like a a, a, a dan uh joke here she's about the Ashby line. Like, <laughs> it is a nebulous sort of thing. So if you're like slightly over or slightly under, it's like, eh, okay, Paul,
3: like, I don't know what you're going for here. Okay, Mike, you need to stay on this on the the podcast because what am I going to do with these two if you're not here to appreciate what I bring to the table? <laughs>
1: yes, as we all know, Survivor Samoa is going to be a lot of how to, I mean, you have your own other Kelly to talk about in Survivor Samoa. So maybe I'll I'll be yeah, like a that spirit guy's above. way
3: it. below the Ashley line. Way below, far below this Kelly.
1: Oh, uh, come on, Paul. I thought we were on the the blonde Kelly ticket together now moving forward. Yeah.
3: You have to we say really the logical things.
1: things. Yeah, we could all pick out our
2: favorite obscure cast member in Samoa to champion. I feel like Paul is going to Wendy Joe the hell out of that. So,
0: I remember who Wendy Joe is more than Kelly and we're even talking about Kelly. So there you go.
3: Hey. <laughs> okay, let's put right, out of so misery. We will please. You.
0: Congratulations, Jackie. <laughs> All right. So, episode 6. This is the double boot episode. By the way, I can't believe we spent an hour just talking about the Kelly episode. That's going to be a record success. <laughs> well done, Paul. All right, so we're at the double boot episode. So uh, in our previously on Survivor, Probst, of course, is going to tell us that Coda is all together. They do everything together, except for Dan and Susie, which I it was interesting because he just completely lumps Randy in with the Codas, although I'm sure it's not quite that dead set, but okay. And then he says, well, meanwhile, Fong has always made questionable decisions. <laughs> so he's still got his little hate boner for Fong.
1: This is a weird okay. episode for a variety of reasons, and one of them is it is very fast-paced. I think this might yes. be the only double Tribal Council episode we've ever done that has both a reward and immunity separate challenges yes. in that episode.
3: Yes, it's, the pacing is so weird of this episode, and that'll continue for another episode we'll talk about here in a little bit, but it was very just like flying by the seat of your pants on this whole thing. Yeah. You well, know, they also you put, in we... one of those,
0: they put in one of those coming up later in this episode. Yeah. In yeah, the middle of the episode.
3: They do that, yeah, but they I, have time I feel for like—,
0: that.
2: like we, we we talked about an hour about the Kelly boot. I feel like even though this is a double trouble council, I feel like we're gonna fly through this episode.
3: I'm flying by the seat of my $200 uh, jeans. No, stop no it, Paul. Just gone. <laughs> <laughs> Let it drop.
1: I'll, I'm gonna I'll bleep out the name Kelly as it's mentioned in any subsequent podcast. Now
0: <laughs> you need to drop it faster than Crystal drops those poles. Let it drop or the rice. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Speaking of that.
2: Yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll get there because that was basically the thing is that you know. Uh, tribal council. They we get another we get another Fong doesn't have rice uh, sort of thing. Which you know, yes, you you, this is not a repeat. You've seen this uh, a bunch of times. They're like, we don't have a lot of rice, and then we see Crystal kick over the rice supply.
0: (laughs) Crystal fails at storing food. Another thing I forgot to mention. (laughs) Yes, so yeah, Maddie is lamenting the fact that they have no rice, and then Crystal loses some rice.
1: But then on but then on top of that, uh, again, this is maybe showing you know her own depression. Uh, it's not through her eyes this time. It's more so through her, I guess, general stature in that, you know, she feels bad for spilling the rice. And when they cook the rice, she decides to not eat any. And now, like, but she's also going to bring up this weird logic later of, like, even though I said no a thousand times, you should have given me the rice. You should have known me. But at this moment, she's adamant to say, nope, I screwed up. Don't give me any rice. I'm just going to lie here and mope next to the fire.
3: Yeah. And you're
0: saying yeah. you're not mad, but I can see it in your eyes. I can see it in your whole presentation. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's a weird sort of play the martyr kind of uh, moment, right? Where I feel like that's how I might react in in a certain way. Like if I did something, I'd just be like, no, you know what? I'll skip this one. You guys eat. But at the same time, you know, it's not that, you know, there's different ways that this could play out. Like maybe you say, you know what, guys, Uh, just skip me, uh, divide my portion among you guys and eat. And maybe you get a tribe that's just like, okay, cool, good on you. And they do that. But for the most part, they're just like, no, 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 you got to eat. You know, you can't die. You can't starve. And, you know, the problem is that Crystal then makes her point more insistent, which you know, sort of gets to sort of, you know, oh, I'm I'm making a big deal out of this. Like, oh, no, I'm not going to eat. You guys do the thing. And it's like, OK, either you need to give up your portion and let them and let them eat it or, you know, walk away or do something. But, you know, standing here and arguing about it is just bringing attention to it.
0: And you can hear Dan from the other camp saying, I'll take her portion. <laughs>
1: well speaking of that we're about to get to now surprisingly dan is not eating but he's still able to alienate people at least from uh, marcus and corinne's perspective because this is when dan pulls the two of them aside and talks about how he feels a little left out
0: yeah i feel bad about this scene i mean this is one of those things and i will talk about this obviously later knowing more about dan (laughs) what happens to him in real life that this is a particularly heartbreaking scene but yeah it's It's one of those scenes where he basically says, you know, I'm very sensitive, I feel like you guys don't include me, please, just no matter what you do, just include me just so I feel like I'm part of the group, and it's just, it's kind of a heartbreaking scene, because you're not supposed to open up your vulnerabilities like that in Survivor, that's kind of a, one of those unspoken rules, don't just go up and be all needy, I need to be included, please, I feel bad, like it's, you don't see many people doing that, and then of course Corinne, Jumps right on it with, what is he, a former fatty or something? That's why he has no self esteem. So it's, it's a, it's, this was an uncomfortable scene just watching now before kind of the real world stuff that happens.
1: It, it, it is really tough because, like you said, Mario, it's sort of one of these things that we were actually, I know, sort of talking about this a little bit with Sugar earlier on in this podcast with this idea that, like, I think Dan, even though he claims he's analytical, 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 I think he certainly brings a certain amount of, emo- of emotion to the game as well, which again is not completely wrong. Uh, I just think the emotional plea does not play well on these types of people. I think both Marcus and Corinne are not necessarily susceptible to those types of arguments. So you could Mm -hmm. probably go to Sugar and make that argument, and she would would totally buy it. But these two are definitely—and also considering his position in the tribe as it was going in, I do not think they're really susceptible to any of his pleas, which, again, as you said, makes it all the more heartbreaking that, like, this is not a strategy on Dan's part. This is just him trying to be— Honest, and it's just playing on deaf ears, just because of the temperament of these two people.
0: Yeah, it's just a sad scene to watch.
2: You get a little more insight into Marcus in this scene as well, and uh, I'm not going to say Marcus's downfall or something like that, but because you do see Marcus in, and you see him like in the scene, like Marcus does seem to have genuine genuine compassion for people there. But you know, when Marcus talks, you know, Marcus doesn't have like a bajillion uh, confessionals. But a lot of times when he does, when he's talking about the game, he's always talking like, you know, he's trying to, you know, Marcus was very endgame oriented. Like, I'm going to, you know, bring these alliance people and we're going to go. And so everything with Marcus was always kind of, I'm not going to say two, three moves ahead, but he was just kind of like, I can't, you know, I've got this plan and I've got these people and I've got this sort of way that I'm going to be doing things and this doesn't work. And so you can see like here is that Dan's just basically like, hey, guys, include me. I need this. And Marcus is like. I can't I can't include that in my plans and what's going on, you know, and, and this is it's this is sort of a hint because we're going to get, you know, we're going to get an insight into Marcus in the next couple of episodes as well. And uh, I think this is a, a one of the first couple signs where we're going to see Marcus and how things are just not going to go kind of maybe his way.
0: Yeah, it's really a deep scene if you kind of read between the lines and look at what all the characters are doing and saying. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good point. All right. So it's time to, for the reward challenge.
2: The- yeah, right away. <laughs>
0: Famous game of Keep Away, and this one's going to be fun, because this may be the most lopsided challenge in a season full of lopsided
1: challenges, so here we go.
0: Coda wins! Yeah, Coda's going to win.
1: I'll, we'll spoil it for you right now. So this game is essentially three members so the three members of each tribe basically need to throw a ball between them. It's not a bouncy ball. It's sort of like a hollow ball filled with sand or colored powder, I think, uh, but it's breakable, so they're trying to throw them to each other while one member of the opposite tribe is trying to, you know, get between them. They're essentially playing monkey in the middle in a way, which again, really nice going with the African theming there. Uh, But the interesting thing is that they're playing this at the same time. So there are two rings where it's three Fong versus one Coda and three Coda versus one Fong. And essentially, the first tribe that either drops the ball or has it blocked ends up getting a point. The thing that always confused me about this challenge is I'm not sure what the rules were with what the attackers Could do and what the defenders could do because we're going to see throughout this challenge that the attackers get super handsy like you have Bob just like drop trying to drop tackle everybody you know everyone's flying around sugar being the lone exception and I wasn't sure if the defenders like couldn't do anything because I mean couldn't a viable strategy be like hey I'm going to go pin Bob down while the two of you toss the ball back and forth until somebody else you know breaks on the other tribe. Yeah,
0: I'm I'm sure there was probably no rules on this one. It looks like it's full contact; anything goes. I mean, Randy is especially aggressive out there.
2: Right. I mean, I think I think that the the penalty is is time, right? In the sense that, like, okay, you go up and, and you try to you try to get the ball from somebody, and you know they they throw the ball away, and then you 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 tackle them, but as Bob did, it's like then you're tied up with someone. It's like if the if the whole object is is that you're trying to get the ball on the ground and you're wrestling with one of the members on the ground, then one of the other people that has the ball can just sit there with the ball, you mm-hmm. know, cause it's, it's all, it's all about, you know, you know, the other team's ball has to drop before yours. So I guess if you're going full contact and diving and tying people up, you're really just, you know, tiring yourself out and, you know, keeping yourself tangled. So I think that's the whole payoff. The problem is, is that, you know, Bob's doing it in the, you know, he's got like sugar who's trying to get the ball away on the other side. <laughs> yeah.
0: Sugar is surprisingly not effective. All right, so let's go through the matchups here. The first matchup is uh, Randy against the Fongs and Ace against the Codas. And this is the only one that's fairly close. But Randy just is flat out full on pit bull aggressive. He just goes right after whoever has the ball and basically tackles them. I forget who he tackles, but he knocks it over. And Randy and all his, uh, his great sportsmanship starts yelling at the Fongs. It's over. It's over and sugar of course says he's mean he's ugly and mean <laughs> propse says so, oh, this is going to be fun because we're starting this up again and that that is the only match that's really that close uh round 2 with this one we have bob against the fongs against sugar uh, uh, and sugar versus the codas and sugar just you know bless her heart her heart really isn't into this one she's not really an aggressive mean person she is barely moving she doesn't really have the aggression that randy or bob has and Sure enough, they're just all the fongs are yelling at Sugar, do something, tackle someone. And she's just kind of lost. Like, I don't really want to do this. I don't know what to do. And. Yeah, so anyway, it doesn't end well, and then at the end Dan wins the th- third round for the Coda's three in a row, which is good because they had to explain to Dan when you're throwing the ball to the teammate what that means. Not you're not throwing it aside from them or like into them or anything. So, so luckily they they use the Dan whisperer and they explain him, and Coda wins three in a row. It's not close, and as a reward Coda wins a helicopter trip to a picnic on a on a cliff,
1: <laughs> on a crater.
0: Uh, cra- yeah, Sandy Crater.
1: Oh, no. no. Dan's there. He's like inside the crater. <laughs> <laughs> I, f- I found it. I found the idol, guys. This is where I need to dig for. Yes.
0: So Coda's going to get a really cool reward. This is one that I really wish you know, many people have made fun of me for mentioning that I don't ever watch anything in HD. But I really would have liked to seen this scene in HD. I bet it looked really cool on the cliff.
3: Some really good uh, old school Survivor music on this. Some season one and two stuff they put together on uh, this scene.
0: And i wrote that in my notes exactly like hey the old survivor music's back in the scene it's cool all right so yeah so coda gets to send someone to exile guess which fong is going to exile for the fifth time in a row see you sugar luckily they have the fruit plate all set up for her so she's got her usual fruit plate of every day so anyway yeah and then maddie is at this point maddie is just furious about sugar he's like you know she's worthless she's a pinup model she can't do anything and he just is absolutely sick of losing he's like we gotta get rid of her bra for sure all right, so let's see, we have the helicopter ride, we have the really cool picnic on the cliff, and then back at Fong, this is kind of where the drama is going to start.
3: Is this where they get their letters from home, too?
0: Oh, yeah, they the code is not only get their, is it that, that on this one?
3: Yes, it's like seven seconds, so I don't blame you for not, you know, for not They get their letters from
2: home, and I mean, Bob goes crazy, so.
3: Well,
1: the, and the interesting thing as well is, obviously, during Randy's boot episode, they're going to embellish more about Randy's situation at home, where... Unfortunately, Randy doesn't really have anyone at home. But again, it's as Paul said, it's sort of like seven seconds long, and it's mostly focused around Bob freaking out over getting to talk with his wife and kids, which is super sweet. But they do this one shot where it pans over Coda reading their letters. And if you notice real quick... One person is just sort of observing anyone and doesn't seem to be reading a letter. So I'm just going to make the broad assumption that Randy did not receive a letter from home. And so he's just (laughs) sort of looking over the cliffs and looking at everybody else enjoying their letters. Again, that's a broad assumption on my part. But considering what we find out about him later, I think it might be true. That sucks. Like,
0: what would he get in his packet? Like, personalized address labels from Red Cross and, like, from the charities and stuff? Yeah, bills. (laughs) Bills? And Randy has bills. (laughs) (laughs) oh i'd feel horrible if randy was listening to this but who the hell was he getting letters from all right so yeah so we go back to fong and this is where we get the uh the drama where maddie is just going off he's like i've never been so humiliated we lost we got embarrassed he's like why even bother competing we get crushed in every challenge and and maddie tells ace you know i know you're close with sugar but she's got to go she's worthless she can't do anything in challenges she's terrible and ace of course doesn't want to lose sugar because you know that's what he considers is, this is my, my airhead blonde sidekick who will do anything that I say. So Ace is trying to push the vote off to Crystal and said, no, let's get rid of Crystal. She's equally bad, which may be a valid point. I mean, why wasn't Crystal in the middle there? you think she would be a good target to try to throw the ball over.
1: Considering what you did to that pineapple, I don't know if a ball right in her <laughs> face, she'd even be able to hit it. That's,
2: that's a good point. This valid is... point. But this is like where this pair stuff in Gabon like really sort of drives me crazy. And I get the fact that Sugar and Ace are a pretty tight alliance. And I know that you know we talk about how like Maddie and Ken may have a sort of thing going on. But it, it's tough because I I know that the, the the battle lines are being drawn here. And it seems like on one side you have Ken and Maddie and Crystal who are going to be this kind of like three pair that that are going on here. But you know it's funny because like Maddie is upset with Sugar and he's telling Ace we need to vote out Sugar. But you know Ace is like can't do that you know it's got to be someone else and a lot of times in gabon i find that you know these people are like i'm willing to vote anyone out except this person and also this person and you don't want this person so really like instead of having like five available people that we could vote out it really is like two or one and it creates all these sort of problems and here is sort of a problem where like maddie is upset like ace wants to survive further in the game they're upset at sugar and ace is basically like well you can't vote out sugar why don't you vote out crystal and Maddie's like, well, I don't really want to do that, you know, and so it sort of it sort of gets this problem for Ace, you know.
0: Yeah, it gets really complicated here. And now, of course, we get the other side of the coin where Kenny and Crystal, who are now spending a lot of time together, say, you know what, let's team up and get rid of Ace. we could just we could blindside Ace and Crystal will tell us in a confessional he's the devil and he has to go. So there's a lot going on in anger here at Fong. And it's, it's funny how it's going to work out that Sugar's going to be right in the middle.
1: Lots of Fonger.
0: Yes, lots of Fonger. Well done. All right, so yeah, so uh, and this is where Sugar. We have a confessional with Sugar, which I, I circled here in my notes because I think it's important. Where she says, "You know, people think I'm dumb. People think I'm naive, but like I'm not sticking with Ace because he controls me. I'm sticking with him because he's the strongest player. And it's a it's a very good way of thinking. It's one of those things like uh, he's not using me. I'm using him. I'm just riding him until I can get rid of him. So it's a very interesting Sugar quote there that, that will come in handy later in the episode." All right, and since this episode moves right along, hey, it's time for the immunity challenge. And this log is rolling! The, uh, log rolling, which Bob helpfully tells us he won a uh, log rolling competition back in college. Because of course he did. Of course Bob won. All right, so, okay, there's a lot of funkiness going on in this challenge here.
2: I also feel like if, you, if, where, if you're from Maine, I feel like, you know, you've been in a log rolling competition at some point.
0: Yeah, he lettered in that, I'm sure.
2: Right. Like, if someone's like, I'm from Maine and I've not log rolled, it's like,
3: are you from Maine? Really? I mean, is that that a thing? I was going to say, I think the reaction to that is you automatically do not dig that person's eyes or presentation.
0: Yes. I was too busy gathering lobster. Didn't have time to log roll.
1: All right. So, yeah, there's some.
0: Yeah, whatever. It's
1: Maine. Maine is kind of close to England. That's your ace impression right there, Mario. (laughs) There you go.
0: I've been looking for it this entire time. I just have to do Zoe. Is as if she was like from the west coast of England? <laughs> All right. So yeah, there's some funkiness in this challenge because this is clearly an individual challenge they set up. Yet it's going to be a team thing, and it's we're going to have a couple episodes like this that are real funky coming up here. Like this challenge wasn't designed for this episode. Don't even try to do that. But you'll you'll see that again later. It always strikes me as odd when they do that. Like don't try to pass off an individual challenge as a team one. Yeah, so anyway, what I'm talking about is whoever wins this log roll wins immunity for their entire tribe, which is very lazy, but okay, whatever. Do you guys have as much of a problem with that as I do? That one just always rubs me the wrong way when I see them do this.
2: Not especially, you know, because I, I, I what I admire about Gabon is, is I admire that they were trying some things with stuff that they've done before. In the sense that, like, with the Exile Island, they've got the, the, the comfort or the clue sort of thing. And with this, we've seen before, because, you know, Jeff's like, you're having a double tribal council. And usually when they have the double tribal council, if they've got some sort of twist, it's basically, uh, uh, you know, okay, you got double tribal council. We're going to have individual immunity, which, which they've done before. Or, you know, they, they had, a, what, what was it in Palau, where they had, like, the tribal immunity, where, like, the one tribe got the beef stew and got to sit in on the other tribal council.
0: You know what? I have to correct myself real quick. I was completely wrong in what I just said. They're not competing, competing for team immunity. Yeah, They're that, competing that's for individual the next immunity. Episode. Yeah. But that's, this Thank is... you for not correcting me and letting me dangle out there, Temp.
1: <laughs> well, it's, it's still a little strange, though, because I think we, you can definitely sort of put some question marks next to the immunity challenge for next episode and whether or not that was meant for a merge, but this could arguably be, like, I'm wondering if this double tribal council was planned at this moment. You know, Because, it, again, it just seems a little odd for this planning, to, especially to have it happen in the same cycle as a reward challenge. This might be the only double tribal council that happens within the typical three-day cycle, which, again, contributes to the sort of fast-paced nature of this episode. But it comes to some really interesting plotting elements that we're going to even talk about after this, where they make the choice to, instead of going back and forth between the two camps, to show one side entirely first, then go back earlier in the day and show the other side. Right. And
2: then we get we get the we get the challenge, right? And it's like like I said, they they you know, sometimes if it's a team one, they they win and they get to, you know, look at the other person's tribal council. Or, you know, they had the thing where like one person gets to assign an immunity to the other person, which is going to happen here, but like they do the log rolling contest where basically if you lose you get eliminated, but then they have a finals that has three people at one time. Yeah. And you know, they, they just had had things going and then, you know, Marcus wins immunity and then he just on the spot, gives immunity to the, someone on the other tribe. It was just sort of you're right, Mario. It's it's sort of weird.
0: Yeah, it's, it's it was all. It feels very thrown together here. Like this wasn't what they planned to do.
2: Like points for trying something, but you know, it's how it okay. goes.
0: So to clarify, yes, one person wins this, wins immunity, and there's a twist after the challenge, which we will find out. They get to give immunity to someone else. So I will go through the uh, the results here, including one surprising one we're going to get, which I completely forgot about. All right, so we have Dan versus Ace, and of course, Ace wins because that's Bond villains are notoriously good on the log, like that. And then, uh, so Dan falls off. And then we have Charlie versus Crystal, and Charlie wins very quickly. Surprisingly, Crystal not good on a unstable platform. (laughs) Yes, Charlie. Crystal basically falls off as she's getting her balance at the start. She never actually gets the challenge going. Then we have Marcus versus Maddie. Marcus wins that one. Uh, Susie versus Randy. Randy wins. Randy taking down the Titans, taking down Susie. Then we have Sugar versus Ken, which Sugar wins beats the video gamer. she found the one person she could beat, although she will surprisingly beat another person in the next round. And then Bob versus Corinne, where Bob points out, you know, I I won one of these in college once, and Corinne's like, of course he did. So Bob wins that round. Go to round two, we get Charlie versus Ace, and this is a very good matchup, but Ace wins. Ace goes to the finals. Then we have Marcus versus Randy, where Marcus wins, so Marcus will join Ace in the finals. And then the big one, the complete mismatch on paper, Bob, the log-rolling champion, against Sugar, the pin-up model, who has been repeatedly described as worthless and unathletic in every challenge up to now. And somehow Sugar beats him when he slips and falls off. So it's like the big upset, Sugar makes it to the finals, and we get to the finals, and like Jay pointed out, you have three people in a log roll, so the person in the middle has a huge disadvantage because mm-hmm. they can't see the feet of the person behind them. And so who is it? Ace in the middle? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Ace starts with his back to Marcus. you think you'd want to be facing Marcus. you think Sugar might not be the challenge there. But Ace starts in the middle. He looks at Sugar's feet. And Sugar falls. And then Ace falls. And Marcus wins immunity in the very
1: odd three-person log-rolling finale.
3: Can't we just stick to final two, people? Final three is not that great. Is this
1: exactly. technically is this a, a log-truel or is it still considered a duel? oh it's a duel we've seen the paperwork on this one
2: marcus wins immunity and then he has to pick someone on the other tribe to give immunity you got crystal like oh please please pick me and all that sort of stuff and he picks sugar which we can talk about the reasons why but i think it's a very easy pick you know i think that on the one hand you pick sugar because you know she may have the hidden immunity idol and it's like you know maybe they want to flush it out and so you just give her the immunity but also uh you know she was one of the finalists, right? So it's like you can give it to either Sugar or Ace at that point, I suppose, if you're Marcus. And it's like, you know, I feel like that's always a good diplomatic move. Like give it to someone who was almost, who almost won, you know? So, so, so you do that. So, yeah. So Sugar has immunity for Fong going into uh, that tribal council, which any plans that uh, they had of, of that Maddie may have had to try to get rid of Sugar, well, they're dashed.
0: Also, it could have been very Pavlovian where. You know, after Coda wins a challenge, they just ask you to name someone and you go, Oh,
1: Sugar, that's just what we do at the end of every challenge. Yeah. For comedy, you know, purely for comedy, nothing strategic. Uh, It's also interesting, and we're sort of going to get into this because, again, we're going to see the Fong side of things first, and then we'll go back and see the Coda side. But it's so interesting thinking about, you know, Sugar is going to flip on Ace here, and there's obviously a lot of questions as to why she does it. But I think one large contributing factor is actually due to Marcus. I do wonder if she didn't have the immunity necklace around her neck would she have tried something like this? Because I think it's shown in Survivor Seasons past how when you have that extra guarantee of safety that you definitely won't be going home, sometimes you're more liable to, you know, make those flips. You know, like Rob Nino in the Amazon flipped at Final 7 when he had immunity. Uh, you know, Kathy convinces Vesepia to tie it up at the Final Four Marquesis because Vesepia has immunity and, you know, it doesn't. she's not going to go home as a result of that. So I think... these machinations of sugar are definitely complex as we've alluded to earlier on in this podcast, but I think one indicator as to where she was going in this episode might have been Oh, well, I'm definitely safe for this round. Maybe I can start thinking about other moves to make now.
0: And I will say that Kenny kind of, uh, we get a confessional here at the start of Fong segment where he tells us what's going to happen tonight. He says, you know, Maddie and Ace are both after Crystal and Crystal and I are both after Ace and so he says, you know, it all depends on the pinup girl tonight. Sugar is the swing. And again, get used to that. We're going to hear that all a lot.
3: Well,
2: and then he does. And here's like Kenny does moves that I think are very good and things like that. But but we're going to talk about this. But I think this is like an absolutely brilliant move by Kenny, because this is literally like a this is a no brainer predict thing. And he, and he puts the thing in there where, where he when he's talking to sugar, basically saying you need to vote out ace because you can't trust him further. And Kenny's basically like he's going to ask you for that idol. Which yeah, duh? Because he you knows she has it and she's already immune, right? Like that is that is so an easy prediction to make. And he's just like he's going to ask you for the idol and he wants it for himself. And and Sugar's like, oh yeah, oh really? And then Ace is like, hey, can I have that idol? And Sugar's <laughs> like, oh boy, there it is.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it makes Kenny look real smart. Which again, you have no idea if Sugar would have turned on Ace anyway. You have no. It's hard to really get inside her head, but the way it's presented in the episode, obviously, is that. Kenny says, "Yeah, well, you know, he's going to take the idol from you. He's going to blindside you. He's a snake. He makes fun of you. He calls you an idiot." And Sugar's like, "Oh, well, maybe we can blindside Ace then." And so it's it's always set up very much like Ken controls this. But again, you have no idea. We it's it's almost impossible to gauge what Sugar's motivation
1: is during the season. And that's what I'll give Kenny credit for because it's not only this boot, but with the Charlie boot as well, which is Kenny spreading believable misinformation. Where this is a good case here where he says, like, oh, you know, Ace and Maddie were saying that you're only good for the idol. Did they say that? Most likely not. But because it's sort of like in the characters of Ace and Maddie, it could be something that you're susceptible into believing, which is one reason, I think, as we said, of many of why Sugar decides to join up with Crystal and Kenny here. And there's
0: a there's a great scene we hear where where, you know, Ace pulls Sugar aside down by the dock. And he's like, so uh, I think it's time you can give me the idol now. She's like, well, I don't know. (laughs) I'm not sure we need to tonight. And he's like, but if I don't have it, they can vote for me. And she's like, but they would need my vote to vote you out, Ace. And I'm not going to turn on you. And he's like, so you're willing to risk it on my neck? And she's kind of looks at him like, yep, (laughs) totally willing to risk it tonight, Ace. So yeah, so again, sugar, it all becomes about what sugar decision, what's her motivation again this will be time and time again in the season where every focal every big focal point is going to start coming down to what sugar is going to decide and it's again, is it intentional is she trying to do that is it just luck but man is it it's easy for her to start dominating the uh, narrative when this starts happening.
2: It gets weird though in in the sense of this vote cuz this okay, we'll get there but like Ace is going to go home tonight, and he's going to go home to a three to two vote. But you look at this fact, like, this, Fong has five members left, and clearly Maddie and Crystal and Ken are in alliance. So you're sitting here going, like, they already have three. It shouldn't matter what, what necessarily what uh sugar does in this vote right it's oh, just wait. she and ace are out of number but then you have this maddie thing where he's like i promised that i would never write ace's name down and you've got these like complications that come in like this season's so weird with those we're like clearly maddie and ace are not in a majority alliance together like i know that they made a little pact and all that sort of stuff but like writing's on the wall they keep losing and you've, you know maddie's got this like three alliance with crystal and ken and, he, you know, but he's like, I'd rather just vote against Crystal than break my word with Ace. It's so weird. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just, Fung is always way more complicated than it needs to be. It's just a classic example. Right down the road, it's always like that.
2: Right, where, where Ken has the, I think it's the, the title of the episode where he's just like, it's it's up to the pinup model. And it's like, it shouldn't have been. Like, this is a, this is a textbook, just let's vote someone out. And it's like, they had to make it complicated.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and we'll talk about this more in a second, but man, is it interesting how Sugar ends up in the middle here when she shouldn't need to be. I mean, she's with Ace, but uh, okay. So anyway, we go to tribal council and, uh, you know, everyone's talking about Crystal spilling the rice. It's still you can't have a fong scene without rice being part of the discussion.
1: Well, it's a Shakespearean drama, Mario. (laughs) Yes, yes.
0: So, uh, yeah, Ace calls, tells Sugar that uh, Crystal, you know, we weren't mad at you. You were just uh, delusional. No one was mad at you, and Crystal's like, oh, so now I'm crazy? So here we go, and then Sugar points out, you know, Jeff, this is why we don't win. It's because everyone has petty feuds, which is a perfect example of Fong. So anyway, yeah, the whole bickering comes down. It's really going to come down to Sugar in the middle, and so we get to the vote. Um, Crystal votes for Ace, and she she leaves out the part I think she didn't mention on Kelly, where she says, go home, not not, the forget you.
1: So again, she's she's piecing together these phrases. She's like, I, I gotta consolidate. I really gotta figure out this key phrase.
0: It's like Coach spelling out Dragon Slayer in her own way. She's building up to her catchphrase later.
1: <laughs> and ironically, she does she does drag instead of run. <laughs>
0: she does. All right. So this is the thing. This is what I have to point out about Sugar. And again, I know Gabon is not everyone's cup of tea, but it's so interesting. You know, Sugar. She is just a. Uh, A dichotomy. Every single time you think she's going to go one way, she'll go the other way. Where, you know, I'm the good sweet one. I don't want all these mean people here. And then when she votes for ace, she writes his vote and she writes ace hole, which again, asshole. She writes asshole. She basically calls him an asshole. Yeah, that's not what sugar would do sugar's the nice sweet one she doesn't do mean names and again i, I point out that Acehole because it's a blurred in the episode a lot of people i've talked to over the years didn't realize she actually writes that but because they blur it out but you can see it's ace dash and i've seen the picture before it's whole so she calls ace an asshole even though he's theoretically her best friend what the hell sugar where's this coming from
3: yep doesn't make sense
2: it's a term yeah. of endearment
0: but yeah <laughs> you look the Acehole. Does anybody have the full video of her voting confessional? Because I know there's a picture of her like winking at him and, and what she's calling
3: him an asshole. Like,
0: what the hell? What is Sugar's? What is her character? What is she playing now? Did he's an acehole,
3: but he's uh he's her acehole. So yeah.
0: Paul, you must have seen her t- entire unedited voting comments.
3: No, nah, I you know, Renee was slacking. She didn't provide that footage for me. So I'll get on on Renee. She's a real acehole herself.
1: So it's not available anywhere on the Internet? Temp, it this is what be. the type is for. Temp go research. Yeah, it. Temp, you you, you, you guys send off Ace, I'll do some research.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: But yeah, it's like I never understood Sugar's character because
0: she just goes nasty there and she doesn't have to be and like she's smiling and winking at him in her vote, So, I don't know, but it's I just find it very interesting that it's impossible to pin down what Sugar's character or motivations are at any point this season. Man, and then and like Sugar's like laughing. She's like smirking and stuff when Ace gets voted out. She thinks it's hilarious. And Maddie, of course, is so pissed because now he just lost Ace, his his ally, that they've had an ironclad alliance for 48 hours. So anyway, it's just one of those scenes I always find fascinating, and this will not be the last time that Sugar will be in a scene where it's impossible to discern her motivations.
1: Alright, so Sugar's full voting confessional, of course, sheds no more light on the situation. Uh, Her voting confessional says, you told me to cut off the head of the snake. Well, I'm not as dumb as I look. Thank you for the great times. Which is probably when she does her little wink face, which again, just raises further questions, but it seems like her entire voting confessional just has this tone of, like, you thought you were really smarter than me, well, joke's on you, asshole, or acehole, as it were.
0: <laughs> it's great. And again, this is just the first really odd sugar moment. We're gonna get a couple more. Uh, and anyway, we get a... And we go commercial, and this is where we get the coming soon, Coda's Tribal Council, and they show clips of what it's gonna be like. I'm like, you don't need that. We know it's coming. We're not idiots.
2: Yeah. Uh- well, I just know. wanted to say no. I I want to say real quick, it's it's this problem, and and we've seen it in Survivor, and we've seen it time and time again. It's where one person finds the hidden immunity idol, and then someone, you know, and they share it with a, an alliance partner, and then the alliance partner is like, "You mean we have it?" But yes. it's never really a we for the most part, like. Sometimes it is, the horsemen and things like that. But, you know, a lot of the times... And people have certainly used idols on other people. I'm not saying that everyone always just keeps their idol for themselves. But it's just one of those hubris things where, like, Sugar has the hidden immunity idol and Ace is like, well, then we have it, Mr. Bond. You know? And and, and then he's just like, let me use your hidden immunity idol tonight. I need it or else I'm going to have to shoot off my pinky toe. And she's just like, but it's mine, you know? And, And I think that, you know, that was sort of the subject of Kenny's talks with her where he's basically like, why are you giving him the idol? It's your idol, you know? And it's every once in a while, sometimes people just need that reminder. Like, yeah, it's mine. It's not yours.
1: So, just to send off Ace really briefly because we, we, we talked about him a bunch because he was obviously in a lot of these 5-6 episodes of Survivor Gabon but really fun pre-merged villain that I don't think a lot of people talk about because he ends up finishing you know 12th place on this season. I did notice in researching him after the show a couple things. Uh, first he did have a minor scuffle with the law uh, when he beat up somebody in a Florida nightclub but he got exonerated for those charges for good on him. But I have watched his audition video and you know as silky smooth as Ace presents himself on the show his audition video is a little stilted and awkward he's standing in a full suit on the beaches of florida and just going on and on about himself and his illustrious background then he walks off frame and changes into a tank top and camo shorts and then talks for another two minutes about how good he is and then runs for the ocean but doesn't actually go into the ocean like the camera cuts away for some reason it's a really weird video that i recommend people want to check out I've
0: never seen that. I'm going to check it out the minute we stop recording. I want to see that. I'm I'm fascinated by Ace. I think he's a fantastic character. And again, he was really just one episode away from being a major character in the show. I mean, if he makes the merge or the second twist, like he becomes a big focal point of the season, I think. And it's one of those things I just, it's, it's just heartbreaking like when you the, when you follow the history of the show and which characters make it big which ones don't make it big I just think it's such a waste that Ace didn't make it big and he came so close he was just one episode away from like being a major person in this season
3: well, and it's unfortunate. I don't know, if maybe you think Jay might have brought this up at some point in the last podcast, that not only does he kind of, you know, fall short of where he falls, but it's like the other people who are big from the season are all, like, villains. Like, everyone else who, like, makes it big is a villain or or a villain that's spun into a hero, uh, like we see from Sugar. So, really unfortunate that he goes out early in a season full of villains.
0: Yeah, and he wasn't a bad player. He didn't really screw up. He didn't make a whole lot of enemies. I mean, people knew he was sneaky in a player, but that's just because he's good. Like, It's just one of the things that's just really not fair, and I always wish, like, I don't wish for players to come back and play again. I think Survivor should be one and done, but, I mean, if you have to start bringing people back, Ace is one of those people that would have been fantastic a second time. So, oh, it's just such a missed opportunity with him, and as Jay pointed out last podcast, he really was the prototype for Coach, the, hey, get a load of this guy. And again, just one season later, everyone will forget Ace because the real thing shows up, and Coach will do, of course, everything a little better.
2: Yeah, I mean that—that's the main thing. The—the the reason why Ace wasn't brought back was because Coach was brought back. You know, it's—it's it's, I guess the same reason. If—if if you want to make the analogy, that's why Parvati is brought back and Misty isn't. Yeah. You know, it's just it's, that's how it goes. You know, the—the the prototype, a lot of times, is the one that sort of gets overlooked in things and in and, and whatnot. So, all right, Ace. You know, led the way, but.
0: Just one of those things, I'm glad as historians, we can just shine a little light on a character that 95% of Survivor fans would have forgotten. Ace. There was a guy named Ace, and he was a really good character, and it's just too bad that he got forgotten.
2: He he has some he has some decent metaphors. I think he has to shoot himself in a pinky toe this time. Mm-hmm. But you're right, like the the sleek weasels and stuff like that. Like I, I wonder what English teacher like just thrust the thesaurus in his hand and said, "You are not going to settle for mediocre. You are going to find analogies in here that you're going to use the rest of your life." But like for the most part, you know, he goes out with a whimper, and it's not necessarily his fault. It's just the pace of this episode. Like it wasn't they didn't really take their time with Ace because. You know, they they, all these things crammed in there and it's not even going to end the episode because we still have Coda's tribal council to get to. But, you know, he just sort of peters out even at the end here as well, which is unfortunate that, you know, we don't get the we don't get some grandiose Ace send off.
0: Yeah. And I always get the impression when I watch this that the only reason Ace got voted off was because Sugar decided her story needed an arc. I Uh, arc. I got rid of my photographer.
2: Yeah, I disagree. I disagree with that a lot. You never know.
0: You never know with Sugar, but I would feel bad if that's the only reason Ace went out. No, that wasn't even his fault. He was just a, a, a character in someone else's story.
2: Well, I mean, that is true. He was a character in Sugar's story. But also, I think that Sugar just was like at this point, you know, Sugar has to move on like they can't vote Sugar out. And maybe they vote Crystal out because Maddie is voting for Crystal, question mark. But at at the same time, like Ace, I think Sugar basically realized through talks with Ken that it's just her and Ace. And I know Ace made this little pact with Maddie, but I mean, it's not going much of anywhere. And I think that, you know, at that point, Sugar's like, well, I don't really want Ace to get all these sort of things. So against the whole head of the snake, but uh, it's also just a really small snake that she's cutting this head off of and she's just like, well, I need to move on to other things because this ace thing isn't going
3: anywhere.
1: Not to mention, it gets, it gets talked about in the Coda deliberations, but I feel like everyone is sensing a merge considering that after this double vote, we're going to get to 10 people. And so you start to think about like, okay, who are the people that I want to go into the merge with? And so you sort of get to this level sometimes on survivor where sometimes the merge boots are, you know, the really athletic guys that are threats and challenges. But in this case, it's almost like anticipating that merge boot. It's the merge boot before the merge boot, where, again, Ace got voted out, voted out for a myriad of reasons, but one of them might have been, oh, he's strong in the challenges. There's probably going to be a merge coming up. We don't want to compete against him. Let's get rid of him now.
2: I agree with that. I agree with that a lot. And with
0: that, we lose Ace. And But hey, we still got another boot this episode. It's coming up. <laughs>
3: And in a weird like, formatting thing ever, we've always done double boots. We always, you know, we cram everything together and we get back-to-back Tribal Council. We actually stop, go back, we kind of rewind time and reset things, head back to Coda, and then we're going to kind of do the whole Tribal Council thing over again. Yep.
0: Yeah, we're going a little genius, the genius editing here. We're going out of sequence.
3: Kind
2: of. It's pretty straightforward on Coda for the most part in the sense that they're they're all pretty much agreed they want Dan to go. But someone brings up, well... Susie's kind of worthless and or, you know, Dan may have the hidden immunity idol because he did go to exile that one time before Sugar. Yep. So, you know, they're they're talking about it. And I mean, they don't I don't know if they ever go out and say it like in, in a super obvious thing, but they're basically like, maybe we'll split votes. I don't know. And it all seems pretty straightforward until Corinne talks with Susie.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, one of those things. <laughs> By the way, the things not to say to Corinne number 500 here. <laughs> Where, yeah, people don't remember this. It's hyped endlessly in the promos for this episode and he, later in this episode where where Susie is talking to Corinne and they're talking about who to vote for tonight. And Susie's like, well, I was thinking of voting you because you're kind of weak, which, again, don't say that to Corinne. That's a bad idea. So, Well,
3: Corinne, doesn't she in the moment – she she criticizes her like what she does around camp. It's not on tribal council that she then also piles on that she's yeah. not as strong as her. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah just pile in the Corinne and then of course we get a wonderful you know uh level headed response from Corinne in a confessional.
1: I hate her, hate her, hate her, I want to stab her in the face. Yeah, not not so- a good look from Corinne later when she calls Susie loco in her cabeza. It's just <laughs> oh Corinne, oh God, you could do good sound bites, but sometimes it makes it makes it tough for us to really enjoy you.
2: It, yeah. I mean and, and this is something we're like It's funny, like, I don't know why exactly Susie said that to Corinne, but at the same time, like, sometimes I do that in the sense that, like, you're just a little over-honest. Like, I mean, Susie's not going to vote for Corinne. Like, Susie's with the plan with them and stuff like that, but she was just like, you know, to be honest, that's really good that we've got this other thing. Because I was thinking about you, and it's one of those things where, like, I don't think she's saying it for leverage or for things. She's just making chit-chat, right? And she's like, well... I was thinking about voting for you, but I'm totally not gonna vote for you now. But it's like, don't say that. Like you don't you know, Survivor is a game where I feel like honesty is a is is a decent way to go a lot of the times, but like don't offer honesty.
1: Yeah. It's, it's interesting in that again, Susie is I think one of the big X factors that comes with this season in a way where like I think a lot of people looking back on the season are gonna say, wait. Susie was within one vote of winning, and we saw like her basically do nothing outside of flipping on Marcus and winning a couple of immunity challenges. But from what I've been gleaning from the exit press I've been reading so far, it seems like Susie was a little cold blooded in this game. Apparently, like at camp, this is an example of it. She would sort of have no filter, or at least she would sort of like tell people that they were going, or she really did not have many emotions associated with the people in the game unlike people like sugar or dan for example because she always just kept saying oh it's just a game they're just players in a game and this is one example of it where clearly this attitude is sort of disparate with everything else going on where these people are having emotional reactions to almost susie's lack of emotion in some of these game moves so she was cold-hearted
0: she was also loco in the caba zone
1: is that the word that helps out oh i got that right
3: no it's your, it's... your spanish is impeccable mario
0: Yeah, but I've heard I've read that as well, that that Susie was actually quite cold hearted and you don't even see any of that in the episodes. They give her no edit whatsoever other than, you know, Corinne just, you know, uh, piling on to Susie. I hate her. I want to stab her in the face. I want her gone yesterday. And this will continue the whole rest of the season that she just hates Susie. And Randy, of course, points out, you know, Susie's dangerous because she's stupid and she's and she's what does he say? She's flighty and she's stupid or she, she has no game and she can be bought. So she doesn't know what she's doing. And she's also too dumb that you can just tell her what to do and she'll do it. So she's very dangerous. So we're just going to get you – know, the editor's just going to pile on to poor Susie to the point that, yeah, you, it's almost un- unthinkable she comes within one vote at winning at the end because that's not the story they're telling.
2: Right, so I, I want to go back to the Susie thing, but, but very this this is how the Tribal Council is set up, is that they're basically going to vote for Dan, and in case he plays the idol, they're going to put other votes on Susie and, so that she goes home. But this is sort of this failure of the Onion Alliance, in the sense that the Alliance is good, and the Alliance is strong, but they have these other people on the tribe that aren't necessarily in their Alliance. And I'm not saying that they needed to like bring Susie in or something like that, but it's the fact that, like, Okay, maybe Susie is being a little, you know, standoffish or cold hearted with people or or whatnot at tribal council. You know, and and I will give Corinne credit like Corinne cuts a a promo and I get that fact. But, you know, as Susie's telling Corinne, yeah, I was going to vote for you. You can see Corinne playing it off like Corinne talks nicely to people, which I think is good. And I'm not going to say that Marcus talks meanly to people, but you sort of get the feeling like Susie's just like, I'm not with those guys. And that's going to be something going on in the future in the sense that, like, a lot of really good, strong alliance people and people who are, like, kingpins of alliance, like Kim Spradlin and things like that, were able to – like, Kim Spradlin had, like, that inner alliance of, like, her and uh, Chelsea and Sabrina. But then, like, people like Kat and stuff that were, like, sort of on the outside of her alliance felt important and felt like maybe they were also – there with them and, you know, she gave them things to do and they were, you know, going around and it's like, I get the feeling that this Onion Alliance is not reaching out to anyone beyond their borders. And if they are, it's minimal at best. And it's, it's, it's this sort of like fringe management that's going to get them in trouble.
0: I will say though, they, that they specifically point out in this episode where it's now official that Randy has officially joined the CODAs, the CODA four. Yeah, And Bob has kind of been pushed out. So they are reaching out a peripherally to, like, Randy. He's now officially, and they, they still kind of have Bob. But it is official. This is the first episode where they mention that Randy is now an onion.
2: All right. Oh, yeah, so, Bob.
0: Yeah, Bob, Bob. Yeah, Bob's here, too. Oh, star Bob, star. yeah. Sorry, the season, Bob. Yeah, I remember, there's that guy also. He's also in the in this season. Okay, so we're going to Tribal Council. It's uh, basically going to be Dan or Susie, and, you know, there's pros and cons for each. And as Jay said, they're basically splitting the vote, even though it's only hinted at in the episode. Like, you know, that's what they're doing. They're trying to flush out the idol in case analytical Dan found it, uh, you know, near the sandy crater. So, uh, yeah, we get a tribal council, and this is where we get the scene we just alluded to where Susie said, oh, yeah, you know, I was thinking of voting out Corinne. Also, uh, uh, Corinne's kind of weak. I think I'm stronger than Corinne, so yeah, <laughs> don't say that to Corinne. Well, they, they do that Keep whole, going, like, Susie. You
2: know, yeah, they, they do that whole, you know, oh, you know some people contribute more than others, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, someone mentions that, you know, like Jeff was just like, well, Susie, what do you contribute? Do you think you're strong or are we can, you know, Susie's like, you know, saying, you know, hey, some of us are more suited to other things and challenges than others. And Jeff was basically like, well, you've been sitting out a lot or, you know, he's doing Jeff Probst things. And then she's just like, well, I don't think I'm the weakest. Oh, who are you better than? And <laughs> Which is always a great Jeff Probst follow up. And then she's just like, well, I think I have more upper body strength than Corinne it's like, oh no.
0: Yes.
1: <laughs> and you have to admit in the moment in the moment here, Corinne, even though she does have a lot of venom that she spews during her confessionals. I think, like you said earlier on with her conversation with Susie, she plays it all pretty well here. Yeah. You know, she gives the very like lawyer-like thing, even though she's not a lawyer, of saying, like, you know, I don't want to insult her. I think she's very skilled, and I think she does have athletic talent. And Jeff's like, well, no, she just insulted you. And she's like, I, yes, I understand that, but that, that's why I'm saying that I don't agree. And she basically like spins it like, I admire Susie for not having a filter. You know, I, I live my life without a filter. You know, Maybe if you want to earn my respect, you should start saying what you mean more.
2: Right, and and I think that's what people forget about Corinne's character so far is, I mean, Corinne has not been like front and center of this of this season so far. I mean, it, it's how it goes, but you know, with with Corinne's final tribal council and you know, sort of her life on podcasts, you know, starting with uh, with Rob's podcast with the with the previews, and now she's got her own podcast, which which you know, good on you for all of those those sorts of things. And it's like she's known for like the cutting promo and the biting promo, and she was brought back on a season based on that, you know, cutting and biting promo. But as you can see here, she's very diplomatic in the game.
0: Yeah. And as we all know later in the season, Sugar will say what's on her mind and Corinne immediately respects Sugar for saying what's on her mind.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Corinne is very diplomatic and she's diplomatic to everyone. Again, I feel like the failure of this onion Alliance, which includes Corinne and Marcus and stuff like that, is that they're not taking care of people beyond their borders as adequately as they should but by by no means do i think they're being blatantly mean to everybody you know what i no. mean it's not like a us versus them it's they're they're being diplomatic but they're also not giving them the feeling of yeah you're with us and we're totally like tight and final three and you know all that sort of stuff which you sort of need to do but yeah corinna's i think playing the game well at this point
0: i think all the onions are great players it's one of those things like they're like you said they're not optimizing their chances to win by doing everything they should be but they really don't ever do anything wrong in the season. That's one of the things that I think people might have a problem with this season. Like, the onions right. are about to get screwed hardcore.
2: <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm, yeah, but that's, that's, the, that's Survivor, and we'll get there. We'll get there. All right, so we're Dan about goes. to
0: say goodbye to Dan, where right before he gets voted out, Dan admits, you know, I don't fit in well, I'm a worry ward. I always worry that people don't like me and I don't fit in, and then, of course, he gets voted out. And it's a very sad moment for a very likable character, where I think even Randy... Isn't his final vote says, you know, I, I like Dan, I feel bad, I have to vote him out, but that's the way it go, has to go. Like, even Randy can't say anything bad about Dan. And uh, it's one of those things that I, he, it's sad to watch him go, even if you kind of don't know the history of what happened to him afterwards. And this is a subject I know we've all been dreading here. So I'm sure Paul wants to talk about it.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, I I just completely agree with you that I think even before you know what happens in real life today and years down the down the line, is that you do feel bad for him because you feel like he's just the whole time he just is kind of like a puppy dog that's just like he's trying, he's just like seeking you know approval this whole time, and when he gets pulled off, it it just you like your heart breaks for him as he walks out, like he's just so bummed about it.
0: He just wasn't hardcore enough for this game. Like He's one of those guys you never felt really should have been there. It's like he was a little too vulnerable for something like this. Well,
1: let's also remember that Dan said he one of the reasons why he did this was to kind of go soul-searching and find himself. I'm not entirely sure if he did, considering he couldn't find a sandy crater. But, I mean, uh, you know, again, the elephant in the room, we brought it up last time. Uh, early on, I believe it was in, actually in January of 2016, uh, Dan suddenly passed away, and it was extremely sad i know that uh, romp had a podcast with both randy and kenny where they really talked about all the great times with him as you said mario i think dan was probably one of the closest people that randy had in the game and so to even lose him in eight years after the fact was still you know extremely effective and so you know our heart goes out to his family at this point even a year plus after the fact and yeah it's it's weird watching it back knowing exactly what happens to him but you know, I think good and the bad, I'm glad he's sort of memorialized in this way because I do think that this is the true Dan. I know they talk earlier on in this tribal council about the benefits and drawbacks of not having a filter and showing who you truly are as a person. I think Dan showed who he was as a person. He wears his heart on his sleeves, and, you know, that may be good and that may be bad. In this case, it was bad and that it ended up getting him voted out. But at the end of the day, we got a good glimpse into who Dan Kay was, and I'm happy for that.
2: Dan was a unique character on this show. Um, he stood out, and and you know, it, it, he it was a bum deal. You know, sometimes people in the survivors in the game they get a bum deal. Like, you know, he had to associate himself with Fong for a long time. You know, and I mean that tribe just couldn't get it together, and he, you know, was there and and he was doing okay over there. Like, weren't wasn't he starting to get an alliance together, and then they swapped tribes? Mm-hmm, you know, and, and so he was on this tribe that loses right from the start, which I just man, that would just tear me up. Like if I we were on Survivor and we just didn't win all the time. Then he gets switched from he, he finally gets gets footing and gets people on his side and then the tribe switches and he gets switched over to this Coda tribe where they're pretty well established as the onions and he's not part of it. And it's like, you know, he just kinda got a bum deal in the game. And but even with that, like like you said, he, he got some great moments and um you know, we really rarely do. I say we get to see somebody on Survivor. We just see a character, a TV person. I feel like we got to know Dan a little bit, which mm-hmm. we don't for a lot of people, and um, uh, which which is which is exciting. Uh, it's also scary because you know you sort of have to become vulnerable for that, and uh, it was it, it was very nice to see uh, Dan play Survivor uh, for the time that he was out there.
0: Yeah, when you actually get to peek into their psyches like we do with Dan, I almost feel like it's none of our business. Like. We shouldn't be seeing this. I, I was even like years before, you know, anything happened to Dan in real life. When I watched the season, I've kind of felt like that. Like, oh, I don't. It's not really our business being able to peer into his psyche like this. I always felt kind of icky that we got to see that stuff.
2: Right, and and so it, and it's just
0: one. Yeah, it's just one of those things. I just feel horrible that he, that he had that experience. It was just so. You can tell it was just raw and emotional for him. And it's to the point that you know, this whole season afterwards, if you know anything about Gabon. You know, this cast kind of hates each other or maybe they love to hate each other. I don't know. I don't know. But you just hear them talk crap about each other. I hear people talk crap about Kenny, about Crystal. I know Randy and Sugar. I've heard them talk crap about each other to the point. And I will even say this. I know Randy and Sugar are both listening to this podcast. And I've, I almost feel guilty saying a good thing about one or the other, knowing it might piss off the other one. Like that's kind of the Gabon cast, the relationship that I've seen them have. But I've never heard anybody say anything bad about Dan, even, you know, before he died. Like, he was one of those guys, like, yeah, he was just a nice guy. Even
1: the Gabon cast says that, so that says something about him. Well, I'm sad to see Dan go between the game. It really is sad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, was, one I knew someone
0: one. was going to go for that, yeah. I'm glad you did it, Tim, not me. All right, well, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, that's that's all we have to say all about right. Dan. Let's all right, let's vote out Marcus. Exactly, let's let's uh, bring, bring the room up a little bit. We're about to blindside Marcus.
2: I like this episode. I mean, it's I wouldn't put it as to, you know, every once in a while we get to an episode where I say, hey, this belongs in the pantheon of like greatest Survivor episodes of all time. That's not this. That being said, it's a pretty solid episode all the way through.
1: You know who really likes this episode is Maddie. (laughs) (laughs) the, the previous podcast, again, I sort of talked about how I, I personally felt like the Double Tribal Council is where Survivor Gabon really becomes Survivor Gabon. One of those reasons is because I think Survivor Gabon is really associated with this uh, this reputation of getting rid of these really big power players. And, you know, I feel like Ace and Marcus, less so Dan, uh, are really associated with that. So we're really continuing... Through it here, and we're seeing immediately, even in the first part of this episode, the repercussions of those two votes where you know Maddie is just in a stupor about being betrayed and having Ace go, and meanwhile, Susie, you know, is sort of just like standing idly by and letting people talk to her face about how, like, yeah, you were just like a backup plan, don't worry, and she's she has a plan for what she's gonna do later on.
0: There's a great scene right at the start of this episode, which I always love, where Randy comes back, you know, we just voted out Dan and Randy's like, Well, you know, the next the next few votes will be easy and Susie laughs. She's like, Ah And he's like, I wasn't trying to be funny, why don't you explain to me why you thought that was funny?
3: Yeah, no, he says that the uh you know the how did this one compare to the, the old ones when they voted off over at Fong? And he said those were easy. And she laughs. And then he just he reprimands her. They kind of just all kind of jump on board are reprimanding her about uh, how she can't be saying those things about Corinne and stuff. Like, they're doing a really good job of making sure she doesn't want to flip sides at any point.
2: Right. I mean, that that again, it's this whole management thing where they get back and they're like, you know, Susie, you really shouldn't say mean things about my Alliance members. Yeah. But we're together. We're CODA. You know, <laughs> it's just like, Oh, okay,
0: guys. (laughs) Okay, so Randy uh, coins a term here. He's going to say basically there's six Codas, there's four Fongs. The rest of the game, he says, is Operation Clean Sweep. We vote out those four, and that's it. There's no diverting from that plan, and that's kind of the plan. And then secretly, all the Codas are like, "Uh, Susie's going to fuck us. (laughs) We totally can't trust Susie.
3: (laughs) This whole sequence is pieced together so beautifully because it's just like, you know, just this like. Bag on Susie, bag on Susie, bag on Susie. She's out, blah blah blah. And then it kind of ends with Susie saying like, "Well, you know, it, my goal is that I actually have the power." And <laughs> that's just how it right. ends. Like, and that's what the whole episode's going to be about. And I was like, "Susie has the power. She's not afraid to tell you that she has the power." And this uh, whole episode's going to be about what Susie's going to do, which
2: <laughs> which is ironically funny because in the previous episode they were debating whether to vote out Dan or vote out Susie, and they some you know they both. Equally, one of them both to go, and they ultimately decided that Susie could be more controlled than Dan could. Mm. Whereas, like, you had yeah. Dan basically saying to them, like, "Please include me in your alliance," and Susie's like, "I don't really care whether you live or die." And they're like, mm, "Tough choice. Going to go with Dan." Well,
1: you know, she, she's like... playing hard to get, Jay. We all know that's the way to attract a mate. <laughs> oh yeah, that's, that's that Susie's such a bad girl. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that does matter. Okay, I, I take back everything I said about the uh, the onions not making any poor decisions. Perhaps they should have kept Dan and voted out Susie.
2: Perhaps is all I'm saying. Perhaps it's
0: right. a good point. Okay, so we go to Fong here, and you know, Maddie's still shocked that Ace was voted out last night, and and Sugar, of course, tells us well, we you know Kenny was right; he was telling the truth. Ace was, Ace was a snake. So, oh, I, I totally believe Kenny now, and Sugar's going to flip flop on this one later. So, don't take don't take her word too much for it.
2: Well, and, uh, I, I think I think it's true. She believes Kenny. She believes Kenny now. Of course, you know. And I mean that—that's that whole thing is that I feel like a lot of times we attribute as viewers, you know, like this person's a liar or this person tells the truth. You know, and we make fun of Dara's, uh, you know, very classic quote in Survivor: of Pearl Islands, the John lies, but he also tells the truth too. But it's like that's what people do, right? Like, Good point. and it's <laughs> like it, you know. I think that it's, it, it, it's you know, and, and a lot of times we sit here and we think like, okay, these people need to make like a day one or day two or day three alliance and stick with it. And if they don't, and they flip on it at some point, they're like total snakes. And I can't believe that, you know, they 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 don't have the honor and stuff like that. And it's like, Survivor's a fluid game sometimes. And it's like, you know, every once in a while, like, you you know, and it's not a matter of like, oh, I've got the numbers here and we're going to vote swap here and we're going to, you know, do a vote split here or all these sorts of things. It, it's more along lines of Sugar and Ace had a trust, and at some point, Ace broke Sugar's trust, and so she's like, I can no longer trust Ace, he's no longer good for me, he's out of the game. And it's like, right now, Kenny is good for Sugar, like, Sugar trusts Kenny, Kenny is with her, and at some point, he's not going to be, and she's going to do something about it.
1: And we also have a really interesting scene here that sort of lies corollary to the Coda scene, where the four Fongs declare their allegiance to each other, despite Maddie being... A little wary, um, but also what they have on their side, even though they may be down six to four on paper going into a merge, is the fact that sugar has the idol, and only the four of them know about the idol. So, in effect, they do sort of have something that could, in theory, clear the levels for at least one round.
2: And they're really preparing for a merge at this point. They talk about it like nonstop. There,
1: both
0: both tribes are
2: right, but yeah, Fong is just like that. Okay, we got a merge.
0: And I like that Ken, uh, Crystal, and Sugar remind Maddie. Don't let people like Ace get into your head again, okay? That was bad. Just let's not do that again. All right, so we're about to go to what everyone thinks is the merge, and Corinne, of course, is still harping on Susie, saying, I will bury her alive, which is a wonderful wonderful, another Corinne soundbite. All right, so, uh, yeah, here we go. So the tree mail comes, and it hints that you're going to have a feast, and it hints you're going to have a merge, and there's a big old controversial scene coming up now.
3: Well, before we get to that, one thing that I love about this episode is, like, I've always kind of thought Marcus was kind of a tool, but, like, they just kind of, you know, they show all kind of tooly sides of Marcus in this episode, and as it kind of builds and builds, he gets cockier and cockier and cockier until he is eventually voted out by the end of the episode. It starts here for me when he when they're reading the tree mail, and he's Ugh. doing his, like, air guitar stuff. It's like, like, it's, speaking, it's there's a spoon. Much.
1: There's a spoon that comes with the tree mail, and he's, like, singing into it like a microphone. Oh,
0: it's horrible. It's It's like the one time Marcus shows any any personality in the game and you immediately label him a tool.
3: Come on, what's the guy gotta do? It's horrible. It's air guitar
0: is rocking.
1: I will say that I do not think Marcus is as game body as people remember him to be. I think one reason why he was the leading edge contender coming into this episode is because he has a lot of strategy based confessionals, but I feel like you have scenes like, you know, him talking, his whole relationship with Charlie or even, you know, these past couple scenes of him talking with Dan that I feel like color him in one way or another. I don't think it's as, you know, neutral as people might have assumed looking back.
0: I don't even know how you can call him a game bot because we don't ever see enough of him to warrant what, if he's a game bot or not. Like, he's well, really not in the episodes that much. I just well, assume, oh, this guy's charismatic. People like him.
2: I, I think that you can in the sense that that his confessionals usually just deal with how things relate to his game which are always you know a, a good sign for people and also he's talking about end game stuff a lot you know Marcus is never talking about what's right in front of him he's always talking about what's in front of him and how it relates to a couple days down the road which you know hey you need to set up and think about the end game and we we harp on that all the time you need to think about the end you can't just deal with things that are you know just just I'll deal with this and then I'll deal with the consequences later and I'll do this but like Marcus was always thinking sort of down the road which I think sort of got him in this, I mean, it's just, that's all he talked about was, was, you know, doing all these sorts of things. But at the same time, he was not, eh, we'll get into it, but yeah.
0: I don't know. It just seems people had such strong relationships with him that he had to be doing something more than just strategy. Like people just really were ready to sell their games out for him. They loved this guy.
2: Okay. But, but, but here's a question. We're now 10 people left in this game, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. No. Yeah. We're 10 people left in this game. Mario, who are we rooting for?
0: Uh, I'm not entirely sure who we're rooting for other than maybe Maddie at this point.
2: <laughs> and Maddie's a stretch, because even though we like Maddie, Maddie is on Fong. Yeah,
0: no, I agree. I mean, you can see that they're kind of building this narrative for a big comeback here. Sugar's got the idol, we're the good sweet ones, we're gonna come back. And they're really not giving any air time to these codas at all, other than, you know, they win a lot. You don't really know them. Like, Charlie, right. what could you say about Charlie? What can you say but, about Marcus?
2: But here's a but here's problem, like fong is and the fong members and the the core fong people are going to be this drive for the comeback right which is there but they're not shaping them like you know jeff Probst, uh you know previously on and stuff like that And are like boy that fong tribe they just can't catch a break you know or oh that fong tribe they're tried hard but they didn't it's fong is terrible
3: and <laughs> this they should go away <laughs> this episode it was fong needs a miracle
2: yeah, yeah. You know, like it is strong language in the sense that you know you say like maybe Maddie, but it's like I feel like anyone that's associated with Fong at this point, you you know, you can like and maybe root for it in a, in a weird peripheral sense, but it's like the the show is not making you want to root for Fong. Fong. The show is making you want to root for Coda, you know, and and Coda is the good is the, is the good tribe. But then you look at Coda and you've got you know, Susie, who's on her own, you've got Corinne and Randy, who, you know, Randy's going to come back on the Villains tribe, right? And, you know, you've got you've got that going, so it's like, you're left with what? You're left with Marcus?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, they're most definitely not making you root for Bob, I'll tell you that.
2: Right, and and, and Bob, yeah, Bob, Bob has not really been very visible, so it's like, you're sitting here going, like, I don't know why everyone was going nuts about Marcus, I'm like, I think to a lot of people, Marcus was the option at that well, point, yeah, like, the only option they had.
0: But he's not getting any character scenes whatsoever. It's just, again, it's just an odd edit. And again, I know people will criticize Gabon for many reasons. If you can criticize it by saying there's not really a winner's story in there, that's a legitimate argument. I think you're right.
2: We're right, because you just said, I don't think Marcus is getting any uh, 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 character scenes and stuff like that. Well, neither is Bob. And at least we're getting strategy sessions from, from, from Marcus.
0: Yeah, I think it's funny that Paul said, well, you know, what the Fong tribe needs is a miracle. And it's it's kind of funny how a miracle comes along in the form of a very blatant producer manipulation coming up here.
1: Yeah, what? Right. what? What are you talking about? Let's let's talk about this equator beach bash that happens. Right.
0: OK, so everyone meets for this feast and they have this big uh, table with all this food. Surfing hippos,
3: in. surfing hippos. We were promised this from the beginning
0: saying a little mantra mantra there. All right, so there's a box on the table, and it says, open this after the feast. The minute you open this, the feast is over. So they all agree, okay, we're not going to open that just yet. Let's just eat and enjoy. And they spend a long time there. I think I remember Mm -hmm. reading someone in an interview saying this feast was, what, a couple hours or something?
1: And the feast also also takes up a large portion of airtime. I know Paul was talking about how a couple of episodes in this batch are edited a little Differently, I'm assuming you were talking about this episode as well. In that we get a large portion on the feast, smidge at the new tribes immunity challenge, then like we almost go immediately to tribal council. It's a very oddly packed, like latter two thirds of us, just because we spend so much time at the feast between the idol stuff and the Kenny Charlie stuff and the drawing the new buffs. It, there's a lot going on in this scene.
0: And I've heard rumblings behind the scenes. I know I read a couple of exit interviews after the time after the season ended that. It was like the onions, I think I forget who was actually talking about it, saying that this feast went on so long, and then there was time after it, and basically, what they alleged is that the producers were meeting, saying, What should we do? Should we have them merge? Should we have' them not merge? and they were debating what they wanted to do if they wanted to just merge right here and have the Kodas pagong everyone, or if they wanted to throw something in there to mess it up and then fuck up fuck up everyone's plans so there was a this is a very fishy scene when you watch it. All right, so we get to the we get. We'll talk more about that later because we're not even starting right. this feast yet. Yeah, but, so but
2: they do it get for their... hours, but but they but it's because the way they set it up, right? I mean, they set it up with the food, and they also get the box, and it says, "You open the box when you open the box, the feast is done. So might as well eat it all, right?"
0: Okay, so anyway, they're eating, and Ken is sitting there, and Ken sees a clue to a hidden immunity idol under a bowl of something. I, can't, I don't remember what exactly it's under. He sees it, and he's about to grab it, and then at the same time, Charlie sees it. Charlie says, hey, what's that? I want to give it to Marcus. And so, and so Charlie grabs it, and Ken grabs it at the same time, and it's like a clue to the hidden immunity idol. And this is going to become a big problem, because now everybody at the table knows there's a hidden immunity idol somewhere
1: on the beach. And what they didn't show was that while Kenny and Charlie were fighting over the clue, Colby Donaldson was sitting in the corner with a bowl of popcorn trying to watch Treasure Island.
2: I just (laughs) want to watch Treasure Island. (laughs)
1: It's too bad Dan wasn't there. He would have claimed all the food
0: for himself and maybe given everyone else like one little banana or something.
2: So is this gravy? Is this all gravy?
1: Yeah, we should throw that idol under the ocean. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. Into into the magma of the core. It needs to go down there.
2: So then this this gets this fun group think, which, you know, again, when you talk about Survivor, quote unquote, the great social experiment, right? Like this is a fun little social moment, right? Where, okay, there's a hidden immunity idol clue and Ken wanted it. What I don't get, like, it, it's it's really interesting and I and I understand this sort of thing, but it's like they're centered around the table and food. Like Survivor producers wanted somebody to claim this very large I mean, that's that's not that's even larger than index card size. Like that is larger you than know, crystal it is it is like a it is like a like a it's almost like a five by seven card like it's very large uh, clue that's underneath the thing so you have to a grab this really large paper without anyone around you noti- noticing it read it and then the, it's basically the idle clue is like yeah there's a hidden immunity idle clue on this beach it's underneath this branch of this tree it describes a distinct looking tree and says it's underneath it which is literally like i don't know 40 feet away from the from from the from the table of food and you have to dig for it like what they were expecting someone to like break away and like dig what are you doing oh I'm just digging digging holes your Fourth for no of July
0: for your Fourth of July uh, picnic don't end like that with people digging in the sand
2: yeah like it just it just seems like this weird you know because they weren't breaking away they weren't breaking away on the beach and having chats and talks and stuff like that they were all around they were everyone was around the table talking and eating food right so like it's a very weird sort of like okay we're gonna have this idol that no one's there but as it is they can't even get past step one like multiple people notice this gigantic large card of a hidden immunity idol clue so then they read it out loud and they talk about it and randy's like yeah it's right over there i can tell you where it is and then basically then it's like okay everybody knows that there's this clue what happens now and i think this is an interesting sort of piece of groupthink
3: Oh, I yeah, think Marcus it's really is going to call their bluff, so this is all Marcus here, you guys. Dumb. Yes. Keep going. Well,
0: Bob Bob is the one who, cl- who cleverly ties it in with the theme of the season. You know, this is Earth's last Eden, and this, this idol is the apple in the Garden of Eden. So it's very clever of him to turn it. He beat, he beat Sugar to the punch to tune in the, uh, to, to get her character more airtime by mentioning the theme of the show.
1: I right. I, th- I think, just like off the top of my head, this might be my favorite overall Randy scene in Survivor Gabon. Just because, I mean, it is peak Randy right now. He is at the top of his game. He's in a good alliance, and he feels like he's in power. So you have this really fun confessional where Randy's like splayed out on the beach, shirtless with a glass of wine. Like he's, I don't know recording some smooth jazz album that he's trying to shill out. And uh, in the get while well, with the game, he finds the idol in like one second and I know that Marcus is, is going to take the credit for like putting out the bluff to you know, get rid of the idol, but he's able to be one of the big champions to get this idol out of the game, which again, you could say whether or not is a good move, I'm sure we could debate it, but you know, Randy takes his shot here. He claims that he's the true king of Gabon, you know, screw you President Bongo, rest in peace, but Again, it's just so Randy in that he's not personally insulting anyone, but he's still talking in such a fun, grandiose nature that you can't not love him here.
0: Well, plus they built up all the promos for this episode around Randy. Like, if you remember from the last episode, next episode, Randy becomes the king of Gabon. It shows him on the beach toasting everyone. Like, this this is the Randy episode. This is his moment right here.
2: Right. And it's funny because Marcus is going to take credit for a lot of this stuff, but... Again, when you think about the options, and that's what that's why I love like these group thinks ex- exercises is this entire group of ten people has may been made aware that there's an an, an uh, hidden immunity idol on the beach, and it's like there's really only two options at this point, which is they have a mad scramble and somebody claims the idol, or nobody claims the idol, right? Like. They can't all claim it, and pairs can't claim it or anything like that. It's either one person or it's no persons that gets this idol. And it's like the obvious conclusion is that that no one's going to get it, and it's like they make such a big deal over it.:
0: Yeah, that Randy, was it Randy and Marcus carry it out ceremoniously into the ocean and throw it out there and, and uh, Marcus gives a confessional, you know these people are, are so stupid, I just got ten people to throw an idol into the ocean.
2: Right, but it, it's, it's this like big moment. Yeah. Right, it's this big moment, but I mean, what's the alternative? What is literally <laughs> the alternative?
1: Yeah, I don't know, because there's such clear factions at this point. There's not so many like moving parts. If someone grabbed the idol, you'd say like, okay, I guess you know we can try to flush the idol, or we can just vote one of their allies out. And, you know, it's it's sort of like this. You're sort of talking about it, Jay. This idea that like one thing's in the center. And, you know, who's going to be the one to grab it and draw all the attention onto themselves? And it turns out that they're just going to eliminate the option of grabbing it whatsoever and get rid of it, which, you know, a lot of people, I think, say badly, Marcus, how could you be so stupid? You know, you went home and you could have had an idol. But again, he points out here that if someone takes it, their target is going to increase tenfold because people can postulate if Sugar has the idol, but people will know that you have the idol firsthand because they saw you actually grab it. Is this the first time
0: in Survivor history they threw away either a clue or an idol?
3: Probably, uh, I think. I only so. asked this
0: because I was just watching Blood versus Water, and every, you know, everyone gives Monica and Brad credit for burning the idol clues, but this was before that, so this may have been the first time that the players just basically, you know, stuck it to the producers, saying, "We're not using the idol." I don't think so. And they just all tossed it, and everyone cheers.
2: Right, but it's like it's not anti-idol. It's it's the it's the anti-sort of it's it's when everybody knows about it and knows that you have it, like the, you know and getting it and, and acquiring it. It's 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 one thing to like find the hidden immunity idol, have it and then announce to everyone, "I have a hidden immunity idol" and show it because at that point you're like doing power plays and blah blah, but it's like at this point no one has it. It's 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 unclaimed. It is literally a thing you can claim at that moment. And it's like if you go and claim it, you then put this target on yourself where it's like, "Yeah, I know that all of you were here, but I'm going to grab it for myself." It's like now you've put a target on your back. For something that you didn't have previously that you have now that anybody could have had. So it's, it's like just with the blood versus water with the clues. Like I'm giving you a clue to find the hidden media idol that you could pass to someone else. It's like you burn it because it's out in the open in front of everybody. Like mm-hmm. it's either one person has it or no persons have it. Like that's literally the only options you can have. And it's like it's funny that like you know Marcus and Randy were like I got people to throw away a media idol clue. And it's like they, they literally didn't have a choice.
0: Alright, it's time to open the box. What's in What's the, in the box? box?
2: Oh man, we all <laughs> two shit. people
0: at the same time go for the seven quid. Alright. So uh yeah, we uh Paul, have
2: you Paul, have you seen seven? <laughs> yeah what do you think, Jay?
0: <laughs> I mean I already I already know the answer.
1: You saw RuPaul
0: season seven.
1: <laughs> Montana just got channel seven, so I think that's they're working <laughs> their way up in the seven related pieces.
0: <laughs> Alright, so uh... So yeah, so, uh, oh, Seven Deadly Sins. We're in the Garden of Eden. Dan was just voted out for gluttony. Oh, it all fits. And Ace for Pride. For Pride, there you go. All right, so uh, we, open the, we open the box, and inside are a bunch of numbers. Uh, one through ten, they draw numbers, and then they read the little thing that says, You have just divided yourselves into new tribes. All the odds are on Fong, and all the evens are on Coda, which... correct me if I'm wrong on this. I'm sure we have a a couple nerds out there in our audience that will instantly correct me if I'm wrong. This has got to be the latest reshuffle they have ever done in Survivor.
3: Well, we have, um, Jerry goes out at 10, right? In all stars. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
3: When they do the whole Amber swap thing.
0: Yeah. You say it. I know it's correct. Yes. Yes. So is this the latest? I know. I remember hearing the onions gripe about this in their interviews after the season. Like, there has never been a precedent for a, a shuffle this late in the season before.
1: I mean, I think Paul just brought up a case in All-Stars where it was also a very similar case, right? You had the the pairs, pairs in that season, going off together and, like, getting to know each other. So everyone's expecting a merge, and then Jeff has them redraw a tribe. So it's a very similar case here. And I can understand their qualms as well, concerning that, again— you know, while it is suspicious that they, they eat first and then look in the box, usually it's, you know, hey, there's this big basket that comes with new buffs and you can have a feast as well, and you're in some weird secluded part of uh, the jungle, which is a little eerie to begin with. You want to hope that, like, okay, we're at this point in the game where now we know what's happening and we're ready to move forward with this merge. And when it turns out not to be the case, and especially when it turns out to not be the case and also end up screwing over one of your major allies and changing the course of the game... You could you could point the finger directly at this twist, much like you know Jerry. While she's mostly going to blame Lex for getting rid of her, she could also point the finger at that swap that happened too.
0: Yeah. Well, it's one of those things. Like I think the onions are totally correct when they say you know this. They, they only threw this twist in to fuck us over because they didn't want us to pagong the season to make it anticlimactic. And I would say if that's true and i happen to believe it's true i think the producers were totally correct to do it as well because it's their job to make a good tv show and again i always point out to people that you know survivor is not a sport survivor is a tv show like the producers can do anything they want to make it more exciting that's what they're supposed to do so it's one of those things that i think everyone's correct when they point out how fishy this one is and my our, my uh belief is well that's kind of what survivor is that's how it goes sometimes i mean yeah the onions got fucked but that's how it happens sometimes there's no guarantees on survivor
2: so yeah so there this is a fake merge the first one ever <laughs> yes exactly
0: Except no it
2: it, it it wasn't people i I know that it wasn't um <laughs> so fake merge we're going back to new the the third the the version three of fong and coda and as it turns out, it's 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 uh it's divided fairly evenly in the sense that, you know, you get uh, what, three, three, three codas, codas two, two fongs, two fongs on each new tribe. And uh, and and away we go.
0: And that is only if you uh, consider Susie a coda. Susie's going to become very important now since it's three versus two on e- either tribe. And Susie's kind of right in the middle on whether she's a two or a three.
1: It's, it's fun to it's fun to think that Kenny Cox gets more name mentions than Bob this episode. <laughs> Kenny Cox, yes. All right, we'll get to Kenny in a second. Okay, yeah. so new the, Coda, the new, new coda's... Coda made yeah, up Bob,
0: Susie, Marcus, Crystal, and Kenny. And the new Fong is Randy, Charlie, Corinne, Maddie, and Sugar. So in theory, we have three Codas on each tribe and two Fongs. The Codas should be fine. As long as Susie doesn't do anything crazy and stupid, we're fine. And we immediately cut to Randy giving a confessional – I'm worried about Marcus because Susie's over there and she's crazy and she's stupid and that's a horrible <laughs> combo. So you can kind of see what's about to happen here.
2: There is that, yes. Now, now we get uh, the these uh, sort of uh, like like you said, it's sort of mashed together because this uh, fake merge took away or took most of the time, but but we get some sort of uh, stuff, especially at New Coda, and this is basically the scene with Marcus and Crystal. Like this is. Just giant. One character
0: scene. One Marcus character scene here.
2: And and the character scene is basically that Marcus learns and he and he shares with the tribe later, but he's talking with Crystal by herself as well, that one of Marcus's best friends uh, in Atlanta is actually Crystal's cousin, Kenny. Another Kenny. So a lot, a lot of Kenny's. So so basically then Marcus is now thinking and he and he has this game body sort of interview where he's basically like well i have everything set up and mathematically i have to eliminate crystal but maybe i don't want to because you know his best friend she's she's his best friend's cousin so now he's kind of like well maybe i want to play with you because you know you're good people and stuff like that and what's great here is that marcus now is sort of twisting things around going like well maybe i'll try to alter my game to include you and crystal's like i don't need to have you in my life like it's it's And this is, again, where I have to praise Crystal a bit in the sense that, you know, Marcus is sitting here going like, well, maybe we can make something work out. Maybe we can have an alliance. And Crystal's like, that's fine if it benefits me and my alliance mates. But if it doesn't, I'm going to vote you out and use this piece of information.
0: Yeah, Crystal has a great quote here where, you know, she promises she'll never vote for Marcus. And she's like, you know, that's just me playing the game. I told Ace I'd never vote for him, too. So yeah, so there's our little uh, issue there on CODA that Marcus is kind of in the middle with, and he thinks he's with Crystal. We go to Fong, and Fong still has Randy, Charlie, and Corinne, and it's basically the three of them against Maddie and Sugar. And uh, what is this? Randy makes a thing right now, I will never get rid of Maddie over Sugar. We have to get rid of Sugar. She annoys me. I hate her. So this is going to end well for everyone, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, it's one of these problems where I wouldn't say it's as... It's, it's as in line with what Susie's going through, but it's sort of similar in that Randy obviously has a connection to Maddie. I think Maddie was one of the people that Randy was getting pretty close to on Fong before the swap, but Maddie sort of alludes to the fact that like Randy kind of has this new family that he developed on Coda. So now he's sort of like caught between two places, especially since, as you said, Mario, he doesn't want to get rid of Maddie, but Corinne and Charlie are going to advocate like, okay, we want to get rid of Maddie so much so that they debate throwing the next challenge to get rid of him before the merge, because and again, I, I I know that there's more stuff that non-Marcus stuff that these two are saying, but them specifically saying on the show that, oh, we need to get rid of Maddie because he's going to be Marcus's biggest threat at the merge in terms of challenges. <laughs>
0: yeah. And uh, there's, there's an interesting scene here that I wrote in my notes. I have it circled here because it's important. It says where, you know, Maddie and Sugar are now the only two fongs left on this tribe. And Maddie basically pulls Sugar aside and says, you voted out Ace for no reason. Why would you do that? And Sugar says, well you know, Kenny told me to and all all the stuff. And Maddie says, no, Ace was never going to turn against you. So now Sugar's going to do a 180 saying, oh, I guess maybe Kenny was lying to me and making all that stuff up now. And I wish I could apologize. starts crying. The tears come down from Sugar. I wish I could apologize to Ace. I didn't mean to do that. And so basically she vows, I will work with you now, Maddie, because you're telling me the truth. So Sugar is going through a little emotional event here.
2: Yeah, again, it's this weird thing with Gabon where like people just do not go outside their alliances super well. And I guess, you know, I'm sitting here talking about this Maddie-Crystal-Ken alliance, but it's like, it's not really an alliance right now. It seems like Maddie and and Ken are sort of tight, but they're not particularly, like, game-allied, whereas, like, Crystal and Ken are. Because clearly, you know, Maddie voted for Crystal in the last one because he didn't want to vote against Ace because, you know, his word was his bond and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, Maddie now, he's with Sugar, but he's, in order to bond himself with Sugar, he sold out Ken. Yeah. And it's like it's just this weird sort of thing where like people are just selling people out just immediately in the short term, like not outside their gains. And it's like, man, that's such a weird way to do it.
0: All right. And leading up to the immunity challenge here, we got one more really important scene here where Marcus tells us, you know, I'm very worried about Susie. She's gonna vote me out. Like she doesn't trust me. She doesn't I'm not part of her plans. And and he and and he gives a great quote here where uh Susie is spinning around in circles playing dizzy bat where she stops nobody knows and that's you get this a lot of people will get to the end of the season and you'll wonder why does everyone hate Susie so much and you'll see it's because of that behavior right there like she has no loyalty to anything she just every new vote is like a new thing of w- which side she's on so he's very very worried and she even says she's like well you know, I'm kind of a swing vote here. Cause if I'm with you guys, I'm just number six and I don't want to be number six. I want to be number three. So, right.
3: And I'm glad you said three because she says it once here and this will become her obsession. I think she'll say it five more times by the end of the episode that she just wants to be in the three. She's all about the three. She just has to get to the three. And this is where it really starts where she just like, will not stop talking about the three. Yeah.
1: Paul, have you seen the movie three?
3: <laughs> yeah. We got that one with channel three a couple years back.
1: Wait, guys, was Susie the original Chaos Cass? She may have been. Although she's
0: not quite as obvious or blatant about it. Like yeah. Cass, they just thought she was evil or just a horrible player. Susie, they just think she's an idiot.
1: I think Chaos Cass combines like Susie's gameplay with Corinne's hatred of people.
0: Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> she's the uber Susie. All right. So, yeah. So Marcus is in a very delicate condition since Susie's almost openly telling him, I may vote for you just because I'm not really in your plans. He's like, no, no, you are. You're in my plans. You're in my plans. So it's very dicey to the point that even on Fong, now they're like Jay pointed out. They're discussing openly throwing this challenge like we got to lose this one to protect Marcus. Marcus is in danger. None of us are any danger. So. Like, it probably would have been a good move to throw this challenge here, and I'm kind of curious why they don't once we get to the next scene here.
1: Well, yep. well I, theoretically, they could have. If it wasn't, let's say, Maddie. a challenge that's yep. individually tailored to someone where, much like the breath-holding challenge in Survivor Thailand, one person can win it for their entire tribe. True, right. that's a good point. Very valid well, point.
2: Yep, that's it's the immunity challenge. And the immunity challenge here is that they've got two poles that have got kind of flat ends and you have to hold these poles by the flat ends up against kind of a board, and, you know, you have the, the boards there, and then it's like, you know, if, if your hands drop, then the pole doesn't have the pressure with the board on top of it, and it will fall out of your hands, and if one or both poles fall, then you're out. So it's an endurance sort of challenge sort of thing, and that, that's what you're talking about, is that it's in, it's an endurance challenge, but it's tribal. So, like, everyone's in the challenge, and it's just last person wins, wins for their tribe, which I guess if you're trying to throw it, it's a tough one to throw because you know if people are not in on the plan they could just last a long time
0: so it's funny the producers threw a challenge that was unthrowable in a place where the the codas should have thrown it very curious
2: the fongs you mean
0: or the phones, yeah. Sorry. Or, or well, I, I call them codas. I the call fans. them codas. They're old yeah. codas. They won't even. They won't even call. Okay. So anyway, yeah. The thing is to balance your arms up as long as you can. And this one is notorious in the lore of Crystal Cox fandom because she lasts almost one second. <laughs> the biggest, strongest person out there cannot keep her her beam up, and it's even by Crystal standards, it's a massive fail. So Crystal is out before Susie. I should point it out, and Corinne, who apparently has no upper body strength, we learned, but Crystal is still out before all of them.
2: Right. And then Marcus drops fairly early. You would, I guess you would expect him to, you know, do well. But it, it basically comes down to the final two uh, are Maddie for Fung and Bob for Coda.
1: Hey, no thing, Bobby boy.
0: <laughs> Get ready for one of Maddie's greatest hits here. Again, this, he's such an odd character. Yeah, that's what Mike was just doing, where, where it's Bob against Maddie. And Maddie decides to start taunting Bob. And, yeah, he does the... Ain't no thing, Bobby boy, and then he does his weird laugh,
1: like, ah! <laughs> and he keeps doing that. He does that laugh more than once. I realize listening back to the laugh that it reminds me a little bit of. Do you guys, know, you know, the song "Wipeout" when it has like that maniacal laughter <laughs> in the beginning? That's what Maddie's that's, laugh is.
0: <laughs> that's what he's doing. He's a surfer, so that's his homage to the oh my original surfer. <laughs> wow okay well that'll have to be the stinger at the end of this episode there you go we know what to put wipe out <laughs> yeah so maddie is just laughing and laughing and taunting and he's got these this crazy look on his in his face and uh and it's funny because maddie's got like his his pole he's trying to balance it up against the stick and he's it's just barely on the edge and he's moving it around and fiddling with it even probes just saying you know maddie's moving it around he's gonna screw up he's gonna be out of this challenge if he doesn't stop messing around and Yet for some reason it doesn't hurt him, and Bob drops, and Matty wins this miracle immunity for Fong to save himself. And I think it's it's if it's not the first challenge he's won, it's like it's been quite a while since Matty's won anything. And with that, it's uh, I'd watch your back, Marcus. Marcus is in trouble, just like everyone was worried about.
2: Yeah, I mean, and now this is now this is getting into the into the scramble for it, which which is which is now tough because. You know marcus is is Marcus is in in this weird pickle where like you know in theory, the three codas can just vote out one of the fongs, but Marcus doesn't necessarily want to vote out crystal mm-hmm. because of the new connection, right, so then he's like he's sort of splitting his attention, which is this weird sort of thing where like really, what he should be doing is like fully concentrating on Susie, like just ignoring crystal for the time being, and if you don't want to vote out crystal, that's fine, Maybe try to focus on Ken, but like the problem is is that you know. It again, it's this whole like voting people out thing, where like in theory Marcus should just go to Susie and say, Who do you want to vote out? And if she says crystal, you say good, done. But you know, Susie's like, yeah, Crystal, and Marcus's like, well, you can't vote out Crystal. Vote out Ken. You know? And it's it just becomes this like weird sort of thing, but then it's like Crystal and then and then he's concentrating on that. But it's like he's trying to like work this thing where he's working in alliance with Crystal, but he's also trying to keep the original codas together. So he goes to Susie and he promises her final three good for
3: him.
0: Vote out Ken and you're in the final three. It's great. Here, There's your promise.
3: Well, another thing I thought watching this is, you know, when eventually this gets back to Ken and Ken's thinking that they want to vote off Susie and Crystal has to kind of correct him and be like, no, they're coming for you. Um, makes me wonder, would the better option have been just to take out Susie in this, in this spot? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would old, that be something that everyone would... Yep, right, Smith, exactly. So, I, I think that he could have played this a lot better than he did. Well, there's some
0: great Crystal moments. We're about to get some great Crystal moments here where you know Marcus is coming after Ken and don't even do that. She's like, you can't outwit Crystal Cox, baby. And then she goes to Susie, and, and this is a great scene, probably my favorite in this episode, where Susie's like, well, I don't know if I want to vote out Marcus. He promised me final three. And Crystal's like, he can't promise you that, Susie. He's got to check with Corinne. He's got to check with Charlie and Randy. Corinne hates you. Randy hates you. There's no way Marcus can promise you final three. And that's very good logic, actually. And Susie's like, oh. I guess you're right, and, and from this point on, Marcus's death warrant has pretty much been signed, I think. So right. I will back up what Jay said earlier, that Crystal has actually has some really good strategy scenes and social scenes in this game, and this is one of her best.
2: Right, I mean, she points out to Susie, you're on the low end of the totem pole at Coda, and just because Marcus is like, yeah, I'll take you to the three, like, it's because he's in trouble.
0: All right, so we're going to get to Tribal Council here. And Marcus knows he's in danger. He thinks he's promised Susie enough to keep her from turning on, but he's not 100% sure. And this is where we get to tribal council and uh, and uh, this is where Ken and Marcus kind of get in a little spat where Marcus yeah. is like, yeah, you know, I, I think uh, we have a strong tribe on this day
1: together. And Ken's like, you just want to make it to the
0: merge. And Marcus is like, well, no shit, of course I, I just want to make it to the merge.
1: Let me out of here. Yeah, it's so interesting in that, you know, we've been talking Crystal up as really the one to bring it bombastically at Tribal Council, but Ken's really going to be the one to speak up here as well and really just kind of call Marcus out on his bullshit. And, of course, Marcus is the first one to pull out the D word, deserve, but he certainly won't be the last of his allies to talk about oh, how much my he deserves goodness. to make it further into the game.
0: Oh, yeah. No, we're going to hit that hard coming in the next episode. All right. So, yeah, the votes come down exactly like you think they're going to. It's, what, two for Ken, two for Marcus. And then Susie's vote is right there in the middle. And of course, we get Crystal with another biting voting comment where she talks about Marcus and she says, You are not the code of God. Goodbye. And Ken wrote Mark Ace, Mark Ace, comparing him to Mark to Ace, which Marcus thinks is funny when it comes up. And yeah, so it comes down to uh, Susie's vote. And sure enough, she swung and voted for Marcus. Whether Crystal persuaded her, whether she didn't, I don't know. But in the end, we lose the head of the onion. Marcus was just voted out of the game thanks to a completely bullshit twist that fucked him over. But that's what Survivor is. That's how it goes sometimes.
1: And I'll mention again, I mentioned this before, but Ejic had been following this season the whole time, and they said, okay, it's got to be Marcus. Marcus is getting all the confessionals. He's in the right place. Marcus is going to win this. And admittedly, I have pretty limited experience with Ejic, but this might be the biggest meltdown I've seen in the edge community, maybe across all the seasons that they've covered so far in that everyone was freaked out that not only did Marcus, you know, not win he came in 10th place. He was the first juror, and so like now they were scrambling to figure out exactly who had the best winners at it. Little did they know that uh, the winners at it will definitely be atypical. But yeah, I think it, it, again it just shows how much people were really backing for one reason or another Marcus as being the overall winner of the season. To see, to, so to see him, you know, get ceremoniously taken down so at the midpoint of the game, even before the merge technically starts, is pretty shocking.
0: Yeah, I've never followed Reddit or uh, Edgic a minute in my life. I don't know anything about it. I've never looked at a chart. But even I heard about the great Edgic meltdown of Gabon. So I knew all about this one. I heard about it all the time. So yeah, if you were part of that community, you remember where you were when this episode happened. This was a big one. This was a game changer episode.
2: And this ultimately, like you said, it, it's really weird, you know. And 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 the way that final votes go, and I know I'm jumping way way ahead, but you do mention that Susie comes within a vote of winning Survivor Gabon. But in a lot of ways, you know, the the votes are split along like Onion and Fong lines and stuff like that. And there's all this, you know, stuff. And we'll get there. But like. <sighs> Susie here is just not going to ingratiate herself, especially with the onions. Quickly, you know, obviously because she is the spearhead in voting out Marcus. But it's 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 in the sense of you know you've said Mario a lot of times that you know people who win Survivor are people that everyone else is okay with. Like I'm okay with that person winning and stuff like that. And I think that the word is always like you can betray someone in this game. You can betray and backstab somebody as long as they respect you and I think it's it's a matter of respect versus I think it's another R word and I think that word is resent Yeah, and I think that it's it's the fact that like Susie you know in all of her moves here it's the fact that like she pissed off the onions before they had this you know tribe this, this last tribe shuffle and then she votes off Marcus and it's you know I know that they're bringing up the deserve word and I know that it's all kind of just bunkum and stuff like that but it's like not only do they not like Susie they resent Susie and it's like yeah. Susie throws the wrench into their game and it's like Again, it's not a matter of like, oh, good move, you blindsided us for your own good. It's just basically, you know, we do not like you, we resent you, and yet you still screwed up our game.
0: I mean, I think the mentality is you're a moron and the producers handed you this blindside on a platter and you took it. Of course you you got further, you idiot. Like, they don't don't respect her whatsoever. So, yeah, it's – I mean, again, it was a great move. It worked out great. But you can see why – Marcus's friends would not have respected those who took part right. in it very well because it was handed to them
2: and if I were Susie I would have done the same move like I, I don't think that she made a bad move she made the right move I, I think that Paul's right actually I think that the move was to vote out Susie mm-hmm. and not go there but Marcus didn't think of that because they were thinking he was thinking to keep the codas and the stat and, and stuff like that but I think that the modern move and and the right move is probably vote out Susie.
1: No, one more one more quick thing uh, before we move on from this episode, because this is where, obviously, they start Ponderosa. Um, nothing too much to glean from either Marcus's or Charlie's Ponderosa, but I will note that Ponderosa takes place in this shack that has a big lighthouse next to it. So you have this really cool visual. And also, because things are so remote in Gabon, uh, when people get voted off, they actually spend the night at the base camp. They actually don't go directly to Ponderosa. So they spend the night there. Fly to Ponderosa, stay for one or two days, fly back to the base camp to hang out before a tribal council, and then it all repeats again.
2: So do the jurors like as they pile up, they all spend the night at the base camp? Yeah. Along with the voted out person?
1: Yeah, so essentially yeah, so essentially once you get voted out of the game, you have this debrief period where you have to stay the night in the base camp because obviously the helicopter can't fly at night. Once it turns to daylight, then everyone flies back to Ponderosa. They hang out for that time period, and then once they say, okay, time to, you know, go back to tribal council, they'll fly back to the base camp, brief them, and then send them in as the jury.
0: With the lighthouse there, do they have to,
1: like, guide ships in from the ocean and stuff? Oh, God, I hope not. I wouldn't want Dan doing that. Well, considering that when when Crystal gets gets get there eventually, I'm assuming that, I don't know, the lighthouse breaks or the, the bulb falls out. <laughs>
0: so should we uh memorialize marcus here or have we said pretty much all i mean i don't know him well and i don't feel like i know him as a character well enough to memorialize other than to say he really didn't do anything wrong other than he got put in a play i mean he could have maybe handled the twist a little better but i think he was kind of screwed either way to be honest
3: i just i just played my air guitar for him bye
2: <laughs> you're a tool paul's a tool it's interesting with marcus in the sense that we don't know like i think that. Marcus is a character where I think a lot of people, especially coming off the Edic and coming off just the weirdness of Gabon, I think a lot of people just are like Marcus was royally screwed, and he was one of the better players out there. And you know, if they didn't have this and they just merged at ten, it seems like the onions had a numbers advantage, and maybe Marcus and his group. The, the onions emerge and they get to near the end and nobody has the, the guts to kind of go against Marcus and take him out early and he makes it to the final three and people vote for Marcus. That's a very plausible scenario of how this game could end. I feel like he's such a huge target that it's, someone would take him out at some point.
1: Yeah, But I don't know. Yeah, Charlie and Corinne let him get to the end, they're idiots. I mean, that was his plan, though. And I th- it seems like the three of them were totally in together. I think we're going to talk a lot more about Corinne next time. But I don't know. I agree that, like, on paper, why would you want to go to the end with people like Charlie and Marcus, especially when you were also considered, you know, such uh, a negative force with some of these people that you're sending to the jury? But I think that was their plan, honestly. Marcus said in his exit press that that was their final three plan. It seemed like Charlie was sticking with Marcus no matter what. <laughs> I understand where right, you're coming I from, that. Jay, but I, I, don't, I don't see a scenario where once they get rid of all the fongs plus sugar— and it gets down to like that final five of Randy, Charlie, Corinne, Marcus, and Bob. I don't see how Randy and Bob swing someone over to get rid of Charlie and Marcus. I really don't.
2: The interesting thing to me then is that merge vote because I honestly feel like Susie flips. Like, I feel like Susie does not vote. Like, I don't think it's 6 4. Coda, I feel like it's 5 5. But at that point, what do you do? Yeah, like, is no, it I rocks agree. at she, that point?
0: He has to flip. I mean, I don't know why she would stick.
1: I don't know. Yeah, so I, guess, I, like, I feel like on paper, someone would not want to force a 5-5 five, five tie. But again, Susie's apparently an agent of chaos, so if there's anyone <laughs> right. to do it, it would be her.
2: She's right, crazy like,
0: and stupid, so we have no idea what she's going to
2: do. And again, I'm not saying that she would flip. I'm not saying she absolutely would, but I'm like, I think that's a possibility. I think there might be a rock draw at 10. That'd be an interesting one, but... You're right. I mean, if the onions go and they go, I mean, I think it's, it's very likely that Marcus makes it. It's very likely, you know, but it didn't play out that way. And I think that people have problems with the season because that's a very easy path to the end that you can see. I think that's what the fun of Vanuatu is in a lot of ways. It's like once the chaos happens and once Chris becomes the only remaining Lopevi left— you can see Chris's path to the end. It's like, it's like looking at the chessboard and seeing the eight moves that you need for checkmate, right? Like, you can see Chris's path. Divide here, get with these people, blah, blah, blah. Like, you can see the path, and then you see him navigating that path. And you're like, oh, fun, I could see the pieces navigating. And it's like, you can see Marcus and, and Charlie and Corinne's end path. It's very easily sort of mapped out at this point, and it doesn't happen because of the twist. And I think people are like, what the heck, man?
0: Once again, just reminding people, Survivor is not a sport, and nobody has ever controlled shit. All right, and with that, I think we're going to cut it off here on this podcast. We kind of had planned to go one more, but we really are shooting over, a little over on time because they, you know that Kelly episode was so fascinating that Paul just had to delve You're into
3: You're welcome positive. again.
0: <laughs> with his blue jean trivia. All right, so anyway, we're going to wrap it up. We'll start – Next episode, next podcast, our third partner with of course the famous Maddie GIF where he smiles. And I have I have so much to talk about that one because that that picture alone has crashed my website at least three different times and I have to explain why. So we'll talk about that and we'll talk about all the great stuff. There's a ton of good stuff coming up in Gabon, but we are gonna sign off here. Um and I think that's it, unless you guys have anything else to add.
1: No, I mean, it's crazy. We're going to be talking about the entire post-merge of Survivor Gabon next time. Gabon has, they merge at nine and they have the the final five to final three episodes. So we're only going to be talking about four episodes of Survivor Gabon. It's crazy to think we're so close to the end considering that we still have yet to merge these people. Yeah. That
0: might be our first four hour podcast. So if you guys have any long flights or lawns that you have to mow that are really big, get ready for that one. That'll be a big one.
3: Who mows their lawn for four hours? You should see mow Paul's your neighbor's park. lawn okay yeah you should see my <laughs> how big the lawns are here
2: yeah do you call them lawns at that part i mean that's just acres right right mow my acre yeah i, I, I just gotta mow the field
0: all right, so I think we're going to sign off. Uh, let's see. I don't have anything particularly clever to say. The, the Kelly Blue Jean trivia has sapped my will to be funny here. Um, so I'll just say, as always, thank you for listening. If you have any comments, anything you want us to add, or if you are a Survivor Gabon participant and have something to complain about, please email us at SurvivorHistorians at gmail.com. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher. I'm Mike Bloom.
3: And I'm Paul Ostlison.
0: And we will talk to you guys later. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.
3: We have a showdown.
0: Maddie, the last Thong member remaining. And Bob, the last CODA member remaining.
3: Ain't no thing, Bobby boy.
0: All it takes is a moment's lapse in your concentration and you're out of this challenge. That's it. <laughs>